Hello, and welcome here to the B&B Show. My name is Brandon, of course, and this guy right here, that's Brendan Nelson, Seahawks Brendan Nelson, back in the house here at the Hawks Nest as we chop it up on our double duty on the week here with the game preview of the Cardinals. Are you feeling, are, are you feeling froggy? You feeling lucky? You know, are you feeling lucky? Uh, are you? That's an interesting one. You know, I don't. I, I just don't. I I'm feeling like we're gonna get whatever we deserve, and right now I'm feeling like that's not such a good thing. I want more than I deserve right now. You know? Yeah. So so Green Bay's pointing the pointing the magnum at you, and you're you could reach over and reach for that shotgun, but you just can't count the number of bullets he's got. You think they got one more bullet in their gun? Is kind of what you're saying. Yeah. You know, honestly, I feel like the Bears are gonna win, but. I feel like the Seahawks are not going to take oh. care of their business. I got to be real here. Oh, I, hot take Brendan in the house to lead us off, huh? Yeah. They, you know, we, hot we don't have, they won't have a bullet, but we won't either. I, or at the very least it's a blank. Yeah. <laughs> it makes a loud sound, but there is no actual projectile. Yeah. That's kind of well, how I'm feeling right now. It's not a good feeling. I, I think it's very much a, a fair feeling to have at this point. This team has had many times throughout this year the, the the control within their graphs to go up there and make their fate what they want it to be rather than relying on the the great football gods in order to make their hay. And instead, they find themselves back, as we were last season, in the final game of the season, needing this help from Green Bay. On top of, like you say, needing to get a win that does look like a little bit on a, a little bit more of a shakier ground than you might just think where you go, well, it's a Cardinal team that's 4-12 and and worth this record. And so they've obviously shut it down and they're done. And we're playing for something and we're going to be hungry for it. So uh, let's let you know let's let's go get it done then at this point but uh, not not really the case right but there's a little bit more to this cardinal team than just their record as we kind of look at them first just outside looking as we get to both sides of the ball with it but uh, a little bit different this cardinal team in that right yeah they're competitive in most every game they play i think they've been blown out like twice this whole season which is not easy to do when you're a bad team you usually find yourself getting blown out once every few games they're constantly in the mix. They're coming off a couple of a few big wins. They beat the Steelers. They beat the Eagles. I they um they've been playing pretty decent ever since Kyler Murray got back and gave them at least a capable quarterback threat. And more important than any of that, we we can't stop the run. And right now, the seed of their power as a team is probably the fact that they got James Conner playing great football and they've got a dual threat quarterback. So you put all that together, I think we're going to have a very difficult time stopping this Cardinals team from scoring. Maybe we can keep up, but you're putting a lot on an offense with a really bad offensive line right now. And also, I, I remember when we drafted Jordan Brooks, we would talk about how, hey, part of the reason why you draft Jordan Brooks is because you plan on dealing with Kyler, Kyler Murray a lot going forward. He's a linebacker who can kind of keep up with him. Not looking good, like we're not looking like we're going to have Jordan Brooks this week. So you put it all together, and I'm just like, <laughs> I'm I'm just not feeling it anymore. Yeah, I as I say, it's a, I think a very fair standpoint to take at this point. You bring it up; they've got ways to go at you, and I I guess as we go into chop into some of those details a little bit, just to stay a little bit at the high rise of this for a second. Uh, I was very 
uh, pessimistic of the Gannon hire when it came down the pike. I thought this is definitely not the Cardinals being able to pick from the best of the litter out in the NFL circles. And uh, they're just taking a guy that's sort of a somewhat of a hot guy in the moment, but not necessarily looked at. But he's come in there. And I think that he's done one of the hardest things that a coach can have to do in the NFL, Brennan, which is to have a team that is no is not the most talented, knows it's not the most talented, yet getting them to play at their hardest on a weekly basis when watching the tape of this Cardinal team, that does seem to stand out to me. They lose games because they're just not talented enough, not because they don't play hard enough. Yeah, absolutely. I think Gannon's done a good job now. There's a long lineage of coaches in all sports, not just football, all sports who are really good at getting a lot out of a little, but then they fail to get a lot out of a lot. So we're going to have to see what happens. Presumably at some point, the Cardinals are going to get better players. Um, Presumably at some point, they're going to actually bring in players that Gannon wants, by the way. That's the other thing. He inherited all this. None of this is him except what, uh, man, they didn't even have a first round pick last year because of Hollywood Brown trade, right? That's right. Yeah. So, so little of this is what he wanted. Like Garrett Williams, um, they got another couple of rookies like Kenny Stills, I think. Or, excuse me, Dante Stills. I don't know where I got Kenny Stills from. But um, It all starts to run together. I do that same thing. You know that I'm I'm horrible about that. that every, those names yeah. start to all run together, man. Get ready for it. <laughs> right. But, uh, yeah, so little this is him. Owen Popoe, I guess, is him. He's That's probably somebody that he's really excited about going forward. But, um, yeah, this team that has every right to just be the worst team in the league this year, even though they have the record of one of the worst teams, I'm overall kind of impressed. Yeah, well, and they, have, they will have gotten those four wins while playing within probably the toughest division in football or one near two at the end of the year as well, which has to be put in perspective of where the record is. And uh, you can't deny, as you watch the tape, that those guys rally around the ball defensively. Uh, they put their hard hat on to start to stop the run. They they will keep working with high motors to get to the quarterback you know, all across the board on that line. Um You've got to, you can get after them as far as just being purely better, but you're not just going to be able to lean on them in this game in a week 17 matchup, hoping that their thoughts and mind are on Cancun or Cabo. They're going to be here in the moment. They're going to give you their best fight. And with Kyler Murray back there, as you said, there's a couple components here. And I guess let's start out with the Cardinal offense on this, as you kind of brought it up oh, there. Which, oh, yeah. By, by the way, I forgot Paris Johnson Jr. They actually did have a first round pick last year. My bad. They did. No, you were, well, you were thinking the year before, which was yeah, Brown. But yeah. But yeah, they did have, yeah. they did get Paris Brown. And they did a good job in the last draft, too, by getting Paris and also doing some nice job of uh, moving back in the draft member on that one to allow the team to move up there. Um, so yeah. Although that Houston first round pick did not pan out the way they were hoping, I think. It could have gotten dark for us real quick on that one. Thank, thankfully, the CJ Stroud was the real deal, and uh, we did not get bid on that. But you you bring up a good point. That one could have gone, especially you know even where the record is, where they're not going to be in a position to get Caleb Williams or Drake May. So this is a team that if you're looking for the Jaden Daniels sweepstakes or maybe, maybe even Michael Penix sweepstakes, maybe this is a team that does kick the tires on that. But uh, – they're not in that position for the prime two, which is uh, interesting for them as they go in the future. They did not have Kyler Murray last time when they played us, Brendan. We did have a quarterback who kind of played the position a little bit similar to Kyler with Dobbs when he was in there in his mobility and their, their use of his mobility. Uh, have you had a chance to watch much of Kyler Murray coming back or track much of his progress here since he has returned? Seen him play a fairly decent amount. It seems like he's playing pretty decently, just kind of nothing over the top. 
But like I'm thinking about that game they played against the Niners where, yeah, they lost because their defense is terrible, but Kyler was kind of helping them keep up a little bit. Kyler was making some plays to allow them to at least kind of stay in that game and be mm. competitive, I thought. I was pretty impressed. Um, I don't know if he's been impressive enough to earn himself into the good graces of the new regime. I, I think that's probably not quite where he got to. But if, you know, I, I do wonder if there's a scenario now where the Cardinals get to their pick, the quarterbacks they like are all gone, and they're just sitting there looking at like, okay, do we want to do Penix? Do we want to put him behind our crappy offensive line? Or do we just want to go with Kyler for one more year, see what's up, and maybe 2025 we get the new quarterback if Kyler doesn't turn it around? I, I do think that door is open a little bit now, whereas before the season started, I thought that door had been welded shut. So not not too bad with Kyler, especially coming off a major injury. Yeah, I, I think uh, he seems to have a lot of the mobility he had prior. You don't see a reduction in his uh, twitchiness. And his get up and go, which is part of what really helps him as a QB to be able to just sort of instantaneously get away from a guy that's right there next to him. So he's been able to get out there still. I don't know if he's probably not at 100% of what he was with that, but he he does look close too. Uh, and the willingness to still extend those plays. They also seem to be doing a little bit of a marrying between the spread concepts and actually asking him to do a little bit of under center stuff and play action stuff and rolling him out. I mean, he's taken to it okay, like you say. I think he's he, he's been fine. You know, he's been, he, there's been, been some games where he had some fried highlights. I watched the, the Eagle game, which he was pretty good. And what stood out to me with the offense is this is not an offense that's going to overthink itself here when the, in, it comes to Murray and the passing attack, Brendan. They uh, went after that Eagles defense, which has some concepts that we have that are similar. And in, in the dink and dunk fashion, and the I'll, I'll just throw it underneath, but it's there to throw it underneath. They're still talking a little bit in, in looking a little bit into depth on this about Murray still not quite at that point of going through the reads thing. You know, it's still a little bit of one read to the run, one read to the run, mm -hmm. not as much of bink, bink, bink. Uh, but it does seem that there's been a progression, especially if you consider the under center stuff for him. Brendan is kind of like the first time maybe he's ever run it in his career. I don't even know if even back in high school he was running anything. Yeah, uh, I'd be very center. interested to see what percentage of their offense is under center now. Yeah, it, it's not a lot, but it's definitely being worked in first the Kingsbury everything's a spread for wide receiver concept. You know, that it definitely stands out watching them versus when you've seen them in years past in that just in that little way. Um, but he's he's doing well. He's not making any major mistakes out there and uh he's using his legs when he needs to, making the making just enough passes at times. They don't have much at receiver. That's the thing that stands out to them when you look at their passing attack, Brendan. I think they have coming into last week's game, Brendan, the receivers had collectively for the season 1500 yards just yeah, from i mean the breakout this shocking breakout of trey mcbride has really helped them get away with that he's it been has. much better than i expected coming out i remember we we i uh, that that tight end class that was a really weak tight end class i don't think either of us liked any of them no uh he was a guy that we i think even begrudgingly we're like okay i guess he's a second rounder but we don't see a lot of upside here in that second round it was kind of like a boring second rounder and i a few bad tight end classes there brendan that all kind of stacked in together uh some of those have, classes have kind of run together for me a little bit because we just haven't had much talent at the position and even this year's doesn't look last year's was pretty good but this year's doesn't look it looks more in line with what we've seen recently from it and scouting some of these guys here early on. But McBride, good hands. 
uh, just a smart guy in space and where to sit down in zones. And that's, he's just going to go find a little spot, sit down and Maria will go hit him. You know, they'll run little option routes down there inside and, uh, It'll work all day if you're going to drop back into space, uh, like I was watching with the Eagles doing in the prior game, where they're just dropping. You know, we've seen it time and time again. You just drop in those deep zones, and you have an offense that's committed to hitting the underneath stuff and just kind of picking you apart bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, the uh, the real place that I think that this offense is going to probably threaten us in this game, Brendan, that stands out to me is going to be the uh, in the ground attack and the rushing attack in that uh, they're getting a player back that they didn't have last time who's been to me another guy that I uh, kind of long underrated, but you've got to start to give him his props for what he's become as a player and what he's been as a player for the Cardinals, and that's James Conner oh, yeah. uh, you know, back on the scene for them. Um, an interesting running back, and uh, one that this week I think like you talked about, we come off the heels of Adonjay Harris and being that bigger – bruising back and what he did to the defense last week and you go okay now you got kind of another one here in this guy don't you yeah yeah i was kind of looking at him as a guy who was probably past his prime at this point that had probably already had his best seasons at this point in his career like i didn't think he was going to have much left after he left pittsburgh it seems like a lot of players leave pittsburgh offensive players at least and then they don't reclaim that that uh production but he's really kind of more than once now since leaving Pittsburgh gone above and beyond the uh, previous uh, previous expectations. So, yeah, he's been very impressive. Uh, according to PFF, this is his best season ever. Best season, hmm. even better than 2021. That was the year I think he had 20 touchdowns or something. And he, he looked like a young Leonard Fournette running out there. Every time I watched him play, I just kept thinking Leonard Fournette for some reason. He just kind of he looked different in that Cardinals uniform somehow. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he's been great for them. And when you throw in the Kyler effect as well, you got to wonder how is this team going to stop their rushing attack? And the answer I think is they kind of don't, I don't, I don't think they have answers for it. So that is why I'm going into this game kind of pessimistic about it. I just look at that Connor Murray duo out of the backfield and I'm not sure what we can do. Yeah, I view uh, at this point in, in the way that this has really moved for me, I look at Connor as a maybe not a hugely better, but at least a little bit marginally better than, um, well, the margin edge is better than Najee Harris. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think that's pretty fair. I thought he was just kind of a, a guy, just another guy. Um, nothing really stood out to me about him. So that hasn't been the case. And uh, obviously good for him. He is a... Uh, He's actually only 28. That's not as old as I thought he was, but still, I still would have assumed less of him going into this season. And the third, even though he's been out for a partial amount of this year, uh, to your point about the type of year he's having, the third amount most of 20 yards or more runs in the entire NFL in addition to that. Um, For a guy that's not known for being a home run hitter or a guy that's going to bust out those kind of uh, carries on the often he's and it just stands out that he's really feels like a guy that's I don't want to say mastered the position in his reads and vision and, and knowing the right move to make every play and the right decision to go make but it feels very close to that and watching him with the tape with his patience to sit behind blockers to other plays where you'll see him press the hole fast when he can sense it. Um, and then just a, an ability to keep his feet. He's different than Najee. To me, Najee would just, you know, run up there to press the hole, Brendan. You know, he gets up there to press that hole, and then he mm-hmm. wants to kind of bounce one way or the other uh, and then create his create his crack of daylight with that. With Connor, you can use him in every way in the ground game, up the middle, outside, 
not really necessarily just because he's a fast guy to the outside, but because he does have that good vision and, and ability to move off the block so well in reading leverage. Uh, but he's going to be a problem this week, and he's really hard to bring to the ground for a Seahawks team that has times had some issues aplenty in their ability to stop the run. Yeah, yeah. It's Again, it's it's as bad as it was last year now. We are basically at the point where it's equivalent to what it was last year, so I, I don't see how anything good happens. I just don't. Um, this, this is a team that is currently making it so that things like the Cardinals wide receiver core being so bad right now. It's it's Michael Wilson, Rondell Moore, and Dorch, I think his name is. Dorch? Mm-hmm. Right, George? That's right. Like, that's not even going to matter because we can't stop the run. Why would they ever throw the ball? It's going to be like one of those Kansas State college games where uh, they just hand the ball off 50 times and call it good. That That's my fear going into this game. Mine too. Or, or then they mix the, it's the bubble screens and stop routes in space. Right. So then that's the only time that they do throw is it's that and like one nine ball through the course of the game. Um, so I think that that's, they're going to take the path of least resistance is this Cardinal team. If you supply them that, and this is going to require the Seahawks team to do some things that they don't like to tend to do, Brendan, as far as bringing down maybe more of those stacked boxes, uh, opening a little bit more of the holes to the back end to try to help fix up their run problems up front uh will they take those steps you and i've talked about it we don't do a lot of we we think they should just because they just haven't shown that willingness to do it it was nice to see the five-man fronts last week i certainly would say that couldn't hurt again this week first just trust in the four-man fronts um but it's just going to come down to the the hawks willingness to you know get in there and tackle and and use their technique that they've been taught and trained and know how to use and and get their nose in there dirty to get it done or not, and may have some guys still making those at times business decisions and always not always bought in, it seems like, in the ground game process and stopping the run. And You know, you don't have all 11 guys in. You got some of the guys, but not all 11, and that's what it takes to stop a, a really good rushing attack. And that's the one thing when you look at, Brendan, look at the PFF overview scores for the positions for uh, the Cardinals. It's the one area in running the ball that they do really well. This is this is their spot. So they they can attack the best, no matter four four and twelve team or not. They can attack at their best with at what we do at our worst, and that's yeah. uh, always always going to be worrisome. Yeah, this is a game of matchups. This is a game of matchups, and this matchup is not in our favor. So, um, by the way, Jaron Reed hasn't practiced yet this week. Neither has Mario Edwards. So even some of the guys we have as part of our bad run defense may not be there. And no, I don't think the guys sitting behind them on the practice squad are going to be better. Yeah. So no, I, I no, they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's uh, they they were trying to protect them last week. We talked about it on the uh, the post game wrap up about Cam Young and Miles Adams. Thirteen collective snaps between the two of them last week, and both of them were your lowest rated players by PFF. You know, the team's trying to protect them. The team's trying to just go out there and say, "Hey, we're going to give you seven plays a game. Just turn your engine up." to 150 miles an hour and let it rip. Don't be worried about saving anything for the tank because we're going to let you go get a blow on the sideline the second you make a couple out there for two plays and still can't give you much of any impact on the back of that. And yet these guys might have to, if both Edwards and him are out, that means you know both of those two guys are going to get a heavy amount of uh, uh, rotation inside or, or that, or I guess they'll put Draymond back inside, I suppose, and we'll just get a lot more Daryl Taylor uh, experience the others. It's sort of, a, you know... I don't know. I don't know if there's a, a, a there's a good approach on that one. If you're that light at the defensive tackle, like you say, yeah. 
Um, we didn't uh, lead with that, by the way. I know we usually do. Let's do it now since you did mention it. Where are we at with the injuries right now coming into this game? Uh, well, Phil Haynes and Jordan Brooks practiced a little bit yesterday and did not practice today. So that could be load management or it could be, oh, he's not ready to go. Shut it down. Mm. Could be yeah. that. I, we, we won't know until tomorrow, really. So that's not looking too good. Leonard Williams also did not practice today, but in his case, I think it's definitely a load yeah. management type thing. Um, we got Mario Edwards Jr. and Jaron Reed have not practiced yet this week. So that's uh, most of your defensive line, really. That's devastating to this team. I mean, they're already depending on Jaron Reed to play 800 snaps every game. It's like, um, I don't know what you do without him. Yeah, that's going to gonna be troublesome on this one if we don't have those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, Abe Lucas and Peters, they're not going to play this week. I think we've already kind of assumed that going in. Uh, even Carroll was like, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to have those guys this week. And usually when he says that, that's there's something going on there. The only player to ever beat his injury expectations is Jordan Brooks. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can't ever remember him. When he gets dark on it, that guy's out. It's He's mm -hmm. usually upwardly optimistic. Uh, good news is that K9 is on the comeback trail. He practiced a little bit today, should play. Looks good over there. And uh, Evan Brown made his way back to the practice field today after dealing with the concussion. Now, concussions are kind of weird, so that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to play, but it's certainly a uh, it's certainly a uh, vote of confidence in favor of him being available. That's true. At the very least, you maybe got him as a backup there if he isn't ready to roll. Mm -hmm. Could be fold. the final game of Evan Brown's Seahawks career. We'll always uh, remember all those great moments. The vaunted season of Brown. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, not that I want him to be concussed, but I would not hate having a game to look at uh, Oluwatimi personally. So if he ends up having to sit this game out, I got no problem with that. I wouldn't either, and I would kind of like to be able to see that as well. That's one of the places we're trying to get a feel for what we have. Uh, in order to know how hard we have to address it this off season. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, so your out your outlook in this is, I'm sure mine is. I just want to make sure we're on the same page with this. Is that probably the Hawks at best will try to roll maybe the five man boxes, but the guys up front are gonna have to get it done. The young guys, Miles Adams and Cam Young, um, who was a guy I, I got heat about. Brendan did my draft review on him, and I go, man, this guy's in. I don't, I don't know if I know it's going to be there here. And then everybody's like, no, he'll start this year. I'm like, no, it's, it's in, it's in rough shape right now. There's a, he's got a long way to go. Um, but Hey, maybe it's been a long year. They're getting their opportunity here. And now, uh, you go out there and you flash here in this experience. I could make everybody feel real good about you going into this off season in either of those two players cases, but, uh, they're going to have to put on, yeah. they're going to have to put on the big boy pants, get out there and get it done this week. Cause even if Jaron's ready, if Mary Mario can get you a couple snaps, they can't give you 65 snaps out there again this this game. Yeah, you wouldn't think so. And honestly, Cam Young's been okay this year, I think, overall, better than uh better than I thought. I I did not have high expectations. He's been manageable. He's had some decent moments. He actually got two QB pressures this year, which is two more than I thought he was gonna get. So <laughs> that's well, when you put it in that perspective, Brendan, that is true. Yeah, that is uh that is very true. So uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what they can do here defensively on that. As we talked about in the back end, I don't think we have much to worry about as far as coverage because I just don't think they're going to try to challenge us much in coverage. With it's going to be stop routes, out routes, sit down in front of the zone, sit down in space where you find open holes in the zone. I don't think you're going to get a lot of crazy route concepts or anything, you know, in in that respect of things. 
Uh, one, one little note in regards to your, you know, snap counts and whatnot, by the way, I'd had a, one of my subscribers did some of the math on this with Brendan, according to them, which is that, uh, we were trying to figure out the last show, how many extra snaps our Hawks had played defensively speaking, when you factor it out to how much that might be contributing to some of the tackling issues and fatigue. It came out to that. We are the second most amount of defensive snaps in the NFL. And that when you put us in comparison to like a team, like the Niners, we've played a game and a half more on our defensive bodies than the Niners have on their defensive bodies. If that, if that makes sense in the way that I'm putting it. Yeah, I, I get you. I mean, that, that's something that I think about sometimes, man. It's like a pitch count with a pitcher. You want to work that pitch count with these starting pitchers, right? You want to get mm -hmm. them out of the game quicker. It, it's like, th this is kind of like the same thing. You want to work that snap count on these defensive players. Yeah. And you know, Carol has been talking a lot lately about the fact that we're not running the ball very well. And it's clear that his di um, dissatisfaction with the run game isn't really about scheme, isn't really about success or the players. It's just about the fact that we don't have the ball enough to run the ball enough and that we don't have leads at the end of these games where we can just run the clock out. Like it's situational more than it is something actually structurally wrong with the run game in his, in his mind. And there is definitely some truth there. You can run the ball much better if you actually have the ball with the lead late in the game. Mm. Agreed. Yeah. Especially if you've had that chance to wear down that defense and get them into a fatigue state where you can go and, you know, take advantage of that. So it's uh it is something I think about as well, a lot on how this factors in and in a lot of different reasons, looking at the snap count, and what the defense is and how that can affect things. But uh, it definitely plays a part when you look at guys getting wore down, especially Brendan. I think it gets exacerbated a little bit when you think about the extra game the NFL just added the two Thursday night games a season. There was already a little bit of a stress test going on here with these bodies and whether they can hold up. And then you say, and oh, by the way, you're going to play a game and a half extra over this same time period with other teams and other players in the league won't have to go anywhere near that mark. Uh, that's that's where I think it gets to a point where a bit of a, what I call maybe even a breaking point a little bit with that, but just a theory and I'm not sure on it. I'm just, you know, I'm throwing it out there as much as anything. All right. I get you. Well, uh, let's flip over then. We're then going to need to flip over to the offensive side of the ball here, Brendan. And from your outlook on this and my outlook on this, they're going to need to make some, they're going to really need to make it, make it happen here. And probably also by our outlook of this, Brendan, because we're anticipating the run game to be a bit of an issue and the, and the time of possession to shrink the clock across the board in the quarters that this offense is not only going to have to be good. They're going to have to be good in a very efficient fashion as well. Yeah, I mean the margin of error for this offense is really thin. It's it, that that's something that we talked about a couple days ago, and it's something that continues to bother me and will never stop bothering me. That in order for this team to win, we need guys like Geno Smith, DK Metcalf, JSN, and K9 to be perfect. Like there's no mm. margin for error for those guys, and especially in the case of a guy like Geno Smith, that just feels so wrong. Like, this is a guy who took a big discount so you would have more money to go fill out the rest of the team. This is a guy who's whose uh, cap hit this year is $10 million. He's making less than half what the top guys are making, uh, the top guys who signed their contract last offseason anyway, because he was like, okay, here's your savings. Now go get me a better team. And this is the situation. It, it, there's something about that, that over anything else I'm going to remember about this season, even if we do make the playoffs, just, I cannot believe we actually did that. 
Yeah, I can't believe we're in this uh, territory as well as that's the expectation. And uh, by some of the measure of people that I get interactions with online here in my chat, and it's not a big contingent, they're just small, big, large, tiny contingents. I think there's a big, tiny contingent that feels like Gino has to do that. And if he isn't doing that, that's just showing he's not the guy. It's like, are we looking at the rest of the parts of this team when we're going to the Gino criticism stuff before we get to, you know, putting it all into that proper perspective? And I don't know if he always gets that fair shake from the fandom in that part of things. And you mentioned DK. I think there's some similar, for different reasons, there's some similar lack of fair shake um, being given to DK as well at times on this stuff. Um, so um, we look at the offensive side of the ball here. Uh, this Cardinal team is try hard to the nth degree on the defensive side of their ball. They're going to do you know nothing significantly extravagant they don't have anybody that's really going to turn the tide defensively buda baker is back uh odd that he made that pro bowl over winfield which got a little bit of pub and i thought winfield yeah. deserved to go i thought he's really become the player i thought he'd be when he came out um but nonetheless buda is back and i don't think he was there in the first game i think we had no buddha did we were we buddha that was his first game back okay might have been his first game back yeah. so um He's at least back there doing what he does, being a being a, a guy that is a factor in the run game and kind of a little bit of a missile back there at times and give you just a little bit of coverage as well on the other side of it. What do you uh, see from this defense after 17 games that stands out to you? Not necessarily a ton. They've been a little nondescript to me, even in that Eagles game, biggest win of the season. They really didn't play that good. They, they won that game because of their offense. But... I do kind of like what they're doing at edge rusher right now. They've got Gardeck on one side, who I've always liked. I've always liked Gardeck as kind of like a sleeper, effective, sneaky, effective edge player. Mm -hmm. Just one of those guys that no one ever really discusses, but he's been nice. And uh, they moved Zaven Collins down to the edge, where I think he started out on the inside, right? Middle and, linebacker, yeah. Yeah, and he seems like he's a little bit better there. So they've uh, they've been creative with these linebackers over the last couple of years. Isaiah Simmons, I think, was playing safety by the end. Uh, at, in Arizona and now they've got Collins playing on the edge and I mean he's still not worth the capital they gave up to draft him but at least he's found something he's pretty good at but overall no I don't think this Arizona defense is all that I'm um at, at a cornerback they um I think Byron Murphy's hurt mm -hmm. right so that was probably their key cornerback yeah that, that's their best cornerback him in uh, Hamilton where their key guys there so now they've got a Starling Thomas the fifth. I remember scouting that guy for the draft. A UDFA rookie starting at cornerback for them, I believe. So Ooh. you should be able to pick on that. Their defensive line might be down Dante Stills, which is um, not not one of their best players, but a player who's playing fairly decently. You're going to want to attack that. So I look at this defense and I say this offense might be able to keep up. Not saying they will, but they might. LJ Collier on the uh, IR, by the way, too, for the I Cardinals. I he played one game and pieced out. Uh, you know, he gave him two tackles, but those tackles, Brendan, okay, mm -hmm. don't undersell those two tackles because they help them still lose the game. But yeah. uh, they look like they are kind of beat up on the defensive line when you do look at their injury report a bit. Uh, you know, Kevin Kevin Strong is questionable. Dante Still is questionable. Leaky Fatu is on IR. Uh, Carlos uh, Watkins, IR. Jonathan Ledbetter, IR. Uh, they're definitely hurting a little bit there uh, as well. Kaiser White out. I think he was playing pretty decent ball for them. They've got him on the IR now. Um, 
a middle linebacker there that was starting to kind of slide in and find a role. You know, they had guys like Gardeck here. They've got a couple of these guys, Brendan, that are these kind of uh, aging kind of journeyman players that have come in and they've gotten been given their opportunity. Then they're they're taking the the bull by the horns with this opportunity and, and giving it their all. I mean, a guy in Gardeck, you can see that he just playing 100 miles an hour out there and he's going to hit somebody he's going to go try to tackle he's going to go do whatever but he's going to just do whatever he can to try to have some impact um you can really sense that guy's uh love of the game and what he's doing out there and and what's at the stakes at play for a guy like that you know trying to keep your your football life fully alive and maybe has found a future there the cardinals with how he's played not been sensational but maybe just found at least a, a bit of a role with them well you could go at the run game. You could go at the pass game, both with the Cardinals on this a little bit. Do you have uh, a way you lean in this game that do you just try to find a little bit like the balance they did last last game against the Steelers, in the, especially in that first half between the run and the pass? Or do you lean into more of, well, I'm going to go after these the the Sterling, White and House, Nightingale. What was, <laughs> what was his name? Starling Thomas the Fifth. Starling Thomas the Fifth. Uh, I'm gonna go at I'm gonna go at these guys. Uh, I'm gonna yeah. go ahead and try to attack them. Or do you do you try to lean into a little bit more of that that balance here? Like you know, hey, I can get it either way. I can I can pass. I can run. Why why pick? Still one? not. I'm still not really trusting this run blocking. Still not really trusting this offensive line. Although I did see some signs of life against Pittsburgh. I thought that first half, K9 was actually having some holes to run run through. He was actually having a little bit of stuff to work with. But now we might have a center coming off a concussion, so I'm really excited to uh, watch him snap the same way that Alabama center was snapping. That's that's going to be great. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. Olatimi was kind of a little dicey. I don't know. The snapping's become now a new a lost art or something. I guess here <laughs> nobody knows how to do it anymore. You know, so. right? Another reason to go under center. Yeah, exactly. I I love the under center stuff too, man. That, that's one thing with it. Is we don't play action with Gino and rollouts with Gino to the side. And especially early in the game when you're trying to get him in a rhythm, Brendan, I, one of the plays that I love most in this playbook is that play action to an outside zone run. Let's say left side, then you have Gino roll back to the right. And then you have a Tyler Lockett or the tight end underneath cut up underneath. And you just, whether you get the, the defender unblocked going down to the run game or the defender, then going to Gino, leaving the receiver open, then coming back underneath. It's just seems to always be there in a good, nice, easy completion there for Gino in it. Um, I, I think you're going to have to end up trying to be explosive in the passing game here to your point as well, that it, it's going to have to be a little bit of the volume passing game that gets this done as much as you can with how the possessions will work. Hopefully the defense can get better in the ground game, but I, I don't think you can just try to play a, you know, we'll outdo the Cardinals at their own game kind of thing in this one. You know, you're going to have to lean on this strength and go take it if you want it to, to carry the day on this one, you know. Yeah, I'm I'm not interested in pounding the ball up A gap and B gap for two and a half yards of carry. I, I want to mm-hmm. attack this secondary. I want to go after with our strength. Our strength remains our receivers. Our passing game, I think, is still our strength more than anything else. Like what else do we do well? We get a lot of sacks, but really, actually, if you look at it, our ability to generate QB pressure is not that good. So if you were to try to say what our strengths are as a team, it's the passing attack and punting. Yeah. That's a very true. That's very true. That's what it is. What it is at this point in the year, Brendan, you can't run from it. You've had a plenty of games. This ain't sample size season anymore. You're in the, the full heart, full meal deal of it. You are what you are when you land at this point in time this year. So, you know, use the horse you rode in on, so to speak. And we'd love to have had a better ground game this year, but it ain't going to turn over suddenly in this game into another better place. I don't even think we ran particularly great against the Cardinals in the first game. Did we? I don't think the offense had a very good game in that game. 
That was yeah. a very kind of plotting game. That was the game we didn't have Metcalf. Mm. Metcalf That's right. missed that game. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I feel like we had just a couple of drives we were able to just kind of carve out, but that was about just about it in that one. And um, they're going to have to be better this week, I think, because that Cardinals with Connor, who wasn't there in that first matchup, have him here, and he he's going to be a hammer on this Hawks defense. And as we've seen many weeks over here with this Hawks defense, hammers can eventually bust a hole through the the wall of the defense, and that hole will just then remain. So uh, hopefully the defense brings their hard hats, Brendan, their pails. They get ready for a long day. Uh, they wrap up. Uh, they understand that they're this is this is it. The sense of urgency that's been missing at times, you hope, is there. But uh, as much as the offense is going to have to be good, the defense is going to have to get a couple stops in this game, or at least by God, a couple turnovers. Brendan, something. Do something on that side of the ball to help out your O in this game if you're going to get gouged in the rushing attack that much. Right. Uh, we've got a donation from Tezakaku. Thank you for the $7 donation, Tez. Did you see the guy who jumped at a judge? Might need him on defense. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that one for sure. <laughs> That's all over the place. Yeah, I did. Ball, ballsy, uh, ballsy leap on his part. I can only imagine how that's going to add to a sentence of a guy that was just denied probation. So it's kind of like, yeah, you know. uh, me and my friend actually did some deep diving into that. Uh, he was on his third. That was his third strike. He was already done, no matter what. Uh, was it? Was it legitimate? Was the whole thing, or was he his anger? Was his anger legitimate? It was. Per and, well, no, he was angry because he was about to get sentenced to life without parole. Oh, okay. Well, at that point, yeah, who cares? At that point, I guess yeah. you're going to take your I mean, I swing. wonder if he goes to a Supermax now instead or something. <sighs> that's true. Well, at the very least, the guards might not treat you very well. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's the... <laughs> and you don't want to be in that lane either, right? It can get it, real dark. You know, that guy ruined it for everyone else, too. These, now everybody who goes to one of those sentencing hearings is going to be like Hannibal Lecter. Oh, they are, they? No, Judge, I'm good. Please let me out. And it'll just make him get a harsher sentence because they'll see the mm -hmm. face mask on. Exactly. And just, yeah. I'm like, oh. yeah. But yeah, it was a hell of a leap. Mm. How about this Denoffiger? You know, guy looked about 5'4, and he's in there. He's in there throwing some punches. I was like, you know, the judge has got to like get, I, I know whatever he's getting a credit for class or something like that. He looked about 18, but he's in there throwing, throwing what he can. I was, I was impressed by that. I was like, all right, you go guy, get it, go get him. Yeah. Um, and we, we did some more research, me and my friend last, uh, the other night on stream when we were talking about this and, uh, uh, I was wondering why he didn't just get shot. And I guess bailiffs don't carry guns anymore because they're not actually cops they're basically like mall cops and that, that they it's been kind of contracted out to them so they yeah. can't carry a gun so there's yeah and i found that interesting i was like man how far can this guy push it before they just pull a gun on him and they uh they didn't <laughs> i guess that is kind of like down to even being like a hollywood meme right because in the hollywood movies going back 30 40 years like what's the meme is that the guy that always gets his gun taken is either a bailiff or the security guard in the bank. The guy does the move where he pulls up behind him and takes his gun out because he's so inept because he's not like a real cop kind. So right. I guess that that does kind of add up as far as like that's that makes sense. You think they at least have like a taser though or something, you know, that he could hit him with because that they took him a while. There was there was like, you know, he had some time to do some do some potential damage there. Right. Where they didn't have anything on it. So mm -hmm. I don't know on that one. Uh, but thank you, Tezakaku. It was a pretty uh, crazy, crazy tape. I think, like Brendan said, they're now going to go in there, chained to the floor, and uh, so he's he's like yeah. the like the 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 
like the shoe the shoe bomber guy ruined it for all of us air travelers this guy's now going to ruin it for any of those potential people coming into the yeah what was the movie where they're in the prison where they all wear these like steel boots and the floors are magnetic that was a uh, face-off wasn't it that was face-off yeah okay yeah it's gonna be like that exactly all, the, all these courtrooms are gonna have magnetic floors I know we got everyone going in. They got to walk around with twenty pound boots on their feet. Mm -hmm. Remember the sound of it? It's a very satisfying noise in that movie. I still remember the. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Taker six ten. Thank you for the two dollar donation. Would you guys draft a quarterback if you're the Cards? Well, let me take a look real quick here. So Tankathon currently has them sitting at four. The issue for them is the Bears could take. Caleb, the uh, commanders could take May, and the Patriots could take Daniels. That's very reasonable to think, right? That's not a stretch to imagine quarterbacks go one, two, three. Mm -hmm. So you're sitting there at four, don't you? Wouldn't you rather just take Harrison? He becomes a no brainer. He becomes a no brainer at that point, in my opinion. Yeah. So I, I don't think you reach for QB four at that point. I don't think you. Like, I do consider Penix to be a reach at that point. I, I know that we're all a little bit higher on him right now because of the <laughs> game he just played against Texas. But taking Penix at four to me is kind of, I don't know, that that I, I think you would not be too thrilled about that if you're a fan of that team. I still feel very strongly about the assessment of being that I think Penix is a top 20 guy. He has a potential to sneak into the back of the 10, but he's a top 20 guy in my opinion. I do think Daniels is a top 10. I, I think the taker, it all depends on this. It's it's Harrison. He's the he's the the pivot thing here. They went out and got Paris Johnson and they got Humphreys there. Their tackle situation is fine. So Pashanu or or the other the, the other tackles really not in play there. So it, it does you laser in on does team number three being the Patriots draft a QB or not? And then they get to go off that. And if Harrison, who's who's probably the number one most talented player next with Caleb in this draft, and you get that at four, from a Cardinals organization standpoint, you love that pick. I mean, it doesn't matter what quarterback you're bringing into the future to pair with Marvin. You're just going, yes, we this this worked well for us. So it's I would see probably the way you just said, Brendan. You know, just we go back to those drafts. Like this is a draft that feels like it's going like the one that did with doesn't it? Like the um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, Wilson. Trey Lance, Mac Jones, uh, Tre feed Justin Fields draft. Like, doesn't this feel like that one where it's like you start the process out thinking, okay, it's Trevor Lawrence and like Justin Fields is going to be in there. And then like by the end of it, you're getting the Wilson's up there and Trey Lance is up there. And, and then, yeah, sure. My, you know, McCorkle Jones is definitely a first rounder. That seemed like that. This, this draft feels like it's going that same kind of way to me. Yeah. Yeah, I can kind of feel that way, too. I mean, we have, you know, it's not just that draft. We see quarterbacks get elevated into the higher end first round out of nowhere during the draft process all the time. Like, uh, I remember Jay Cutler coming out of nowhere, and he mm -hmm. ended up in the top 12, I think. Uh, yeah. Ryan Tannehill kind of came out of nowhere, and suddenly he was a top 12 quarter pick. Oh, yeah. You know, so there will probably be one guy like that. There usually is. Yeah, Tannehill had a crazy pro day. That was a there was a whole Carol Carol was there, and there's a whole Carol quote of him being there, where he like shouted out at one point after the workout, he's like, "What am I even doing here? We're not going to be drafting high enough to pick this guy," and like left the facility or something like that, supposedly. So, 
uh, you know, he had that wide receiver 40 time he put on his pro day numbers, you know, and then threw the oh, ball yeah. over the place. But um, yeah, I, I think that there's what's weird though is then we have the drafts too, like the one a couple years ago with the pick a draft, Brendan, where nobody wants to touch a quarterback with a 10 foot pole. And uh, it, it, it's like, you know, they've got some inoperable you know, disease sometimes. So it's, it goes weird the other way too at times, but this one is definitely slanting that way. And I, I think the Cardinals uh, are not going to be pressured to take the QB, but more taker just because of their, where they're picking, like Brendan said, where it'll probably be fourth, you know, and not likely to improve, right? Brendan, look at the tank thought. Is it going to improve this week if they lose? Um, well, the Patriots would have to win or the commanders would have to win. And um, unlikely on no. both counts, I think. Yeah. Not, Especially because I guess Washington's still stuck with Howell because Brissett got hurt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's true. But uh, Howell was starting to kind of track backwards, but they're going to, they're not going to reverse their form. So they're, you know, they'll, they'll stay with where they're at. Why does Washington affect though? Cause they wouldn't be ahead of them. Would they? Washington's not ahead of them on the. Uh, Washington, no, Washington's at two. Washington has the number two pick. Commanders have two. Yeah, the, uh, okay. it, it's Bears at the one, Commanders at the two, New England at the three. Okay. Wow. Okay. So there you go. That makes sense. Yeah, Washington and Washington and New England are separated by point zero zero three on their strength of schedule, so it could shift. Okay. Which would be very interesting if New England ended up getting Drake May by like point zero zero one strength of schedule. That'd be crazy. That would be crazy. That's hard to, that's, that, that's a hard to mathematically just get to even that, that level of problem, you know, difference, but uh, Hey, you know, good, good for England at that point, especially if they're going in a, a heavily new direction this off season, it sounds like from the top down. Yep. Um, long live the King. Thank you for the $5 donation. Says we benefited from the rust trade financially and talent wise, but did we truly win that? Did we truly win the trade? Because our schemes don't maximize the use of talent. Well, um, I don't usually say things like this, but this is going to be a circumstance where I really need to advocate for people trying being a little patient with this. Some of these players that we got in that trade just got here. This is literally Devin Witherspoon has not played a full season in the NFL yet. We still don't know what Boye Mafe is going to be. We still don't really know what Charles Cross is going to be. Like, we're going to need time to really, under, like, like, the fact that we didn't win a Super Bowl within the first two years of trading Russ does not mean we need to now make that trade less than it actually was. Like, maybe we will end up not taking full advantage of the assets we got, but the assets we got are still phenomenal. Yeah, I th I think King I uh, definitely am, am where Brendan is, and just add even further with what Brendan says on this, I'd say King that that it really what your scheme does to use the talent kind of has nothing to do with another what you get from the assets that you got back and the players you're selecting. You know, did you make good selections of the good players and the good picks who have the best talent available to you? That's the that's the determinant to me of whether you won the trade or not. Not did you use those talents the best thing? That's a coaching problem. That's a whole separate issue. That's not a trade problem. That's not a, a wielding and dealing problem. That's not a John Schneider should have gotten more kind of problem, which is when we look at these trades, that's really what we're saying. Did this general manager get more than this other general manager? Did he beat him in this trade? It's not really about what the coaches then do at the bottom level to it. And um, so I, I would differentiate. I think those two for me, King, I can't, 
pair those two things together in myself. Uh, like Brendan has said though, as well, got to be patient with what we've got here to, to figure out, figure out what we have. I still think that we wildly won the trade because these players have shown enough, at least maybe they're not going to be stars. Maybe they will be stars, but they've shown you enough that they're not going to probably be busts and that you're going to get some, some, some good returns back for a quarterback who we're now finding was, you know, potentially truly just about at the end of the line. And uh, that makes yeah. it a, uh, you, you, like you say, removing in, that's even removing the financial component, which is a part of the process that cannot be ignored, but just even ignoring that, it's still a win for the Hawks and what they've pulled. Yeah, I, I said this in a, a, a tweet uh, shortly after the it was announced that Denver was benching Wilson. I said, imagine for a moment in March of 2022, the Denver Broncos called up the Seahawks and said, we want to give you two firsts, two seconds, and three players for nothing. We just want to give you these assets, right? Like mm. you, you literally don't have to give us a thing. We're just going to give you two firsts, two seconds, and three players. It would be the one of the biggest scandals in NFL history. The commissioner would step in to stop it. It would be the 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 Denver fans would be marching on the uh, stadium trying to demand the owner's sell for this awful disgrace of a football decision. Like, like it would be, it would still to this day probably be one of the biggest sports stories ever. Now consider what they did was actually much, much worse. Yeah. I was going to just say that. Yeah. What they did was far worse. They would have been better off giving us that stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can win the trade. That doesn't mean you're going to flip those assets and, when you know win a Super Bowl immediately with those assets, that's typically not how it works. So we shouldn't. Um, um, I I don't think we can compare. Uh, put those two things in the same lane at all. Yeah, I I can't do it as well. But uh, I think we are going to both now in this moment where I stand and and both two three years down the line on this King say and feel that this is a trade that we remarkably won. Uh, the way Brennan just kind of termed it is a good way of just, like you said, it was worse the way that he just presented. Them just giving you those assets, it was far worse because of how he set that franchise back now, um, both in how they tried to build around him and then also now in the dead money that they're having to sustain as he now leaves and moves on. And so it was a much more, much more pain inflicted there and uh, – that's what makes it not just a, a one trade and a remarkably one one, but then even the financial part comes in as this cherry on top that you you dodge that fifty five million dollar bullet, and it becomes it becomes absolutely one of the best trades in football history at that point when you add that part into the process. But we'll see how we got to we do have to see how this does play out for both the good side and bad where these players really land and how it all boils down to when we get to the final point. Right. Thank you, King. I appreciate you for the donation. Uh, Phoebe Moore Seahawks, thank you for the $5 dono. Says, would you be okay with a full strip down of the organization like John, Pete, front office, scouts, all let them go? Um, I like the job John has done lately, but I'm not so attached to him that I would refuse to part with him if it actually meant tearing things up a little bit. The, the thing that would suck about a teardown would be that you've got a lot of young players on this team that you'd have to make a decision on. Like, do, do we think that should, would we keep, want to keep Boye Mafe around in time for the next buildup? Would we want to keep Charles Cross around in time for the next buildup? How would we make all this, this timeline thing work? But we've seen that strip downs and buildups can happen very quickly. 
So I, I would not be afraid of a complete teardown like this. I wouldn't be afraid of the the complete teardown either on this feed me. I, I do share a little bit of Brennan's hesitancy when it comes to potentially scouts and front office and John. And and really there's a part of this question I always say, feed me, that the, the, the most important part of this question goes to when we look at, let's say, the top 10 or some of the big problems with this organization and roster building, which would be on John's plate, how much of that was Pete and his ability to override John as basically John's head through these years? You know, when it comes to going for a guy like Jimmy Graham or or Jamal Adams or making some of these defensive trades where they're giving up uh, short-term assets, long-term assets for short-term players, um, who's the one driving that? Is it one guy that's been doing it? Is it both of them doing their equal bits of it? We don't kind of know that information from eFeedMe, and that always makes it hard to answer your question on this because I can... Uh, the scouts and, and front office people could be doing a great job right now, doing one of the best jobs in the, in the league, but then finding that their coaches, coaching staff at the bottom line of it is just not able to even come close to getting the most out of these players. And and that's where it could then fall more heavily onto the shoulders of that. And if that's the case, then you're not looking as much to, to necessarily cut everything, throwing the baby out with the bathwater just for the sake of it, so to speak. I'd need to know some of those answers to those questions to be able to make that determination. And I don't have those answers, unfortunately. The other thing with this is Pete's always had power over John and then thusly with it, all power over the rest of the front, front office and scouts with it. So John's never really had the power to wield. This is what comes down to that question and why it's so hard to answer is who's really been running this, the, this show. And is, is Carol running with heavy handed approach? Has he been hands off and John's just been able to run free and wild and that these things can actually land on John's door. And, um, but I, you know, I, a long way around the the bend on that one, Brendan. You're you're still where I'm at on it, which is that if, it, if that's this what it takes us to get to change, we do need change here. Um, and if that's what it took to get to change, I'd do it. But I, it's more to me, the issues at this point come down to really coaching as much as anything. Beyond, you know, certainly can help getting more talented and better. That doesn't hurt things, and I, there's room for that. But uh, if we're looking at the biggest issues or the core root issues, that's where I find it at. Yeah, yeah, I'm inclined to agree, but it, uh, I mean, John has been a good GM the last couple of years, I think, with I what too. he's been able to control. Not that we'll, we have a full idea of what he does control, but as near as I can tell, it seems like he's doing his job, but I don't believe he's the only person in the world who can do that job. I think that if you have to move off John to get rid of Pete, you can find another good GM. Agreed. Agreed. And to your point about recent success, um, being on the right side of the Russell deal, not trading him a year earlier when I don't think you would have gotten as good assets and you would have had to eat way more dead money. The Geno decision to ride with him as your as your quarterback and then to not have when he was rewarding you with the comeback of the season, you didn't come back and then pay him a Daniel Jones contract. You found a way to put him onto a deal that was very advantageous. Good value signings, in my opinion, over the past couple of years and what they've done in free agency with what they've worked with. Um, from, from what he's done, I, I, I didn't mind the Uchenna signing as we saw his missing place from this defense, you could really feel and hurt and, and hurt when he wasn't there. Um, so at least over the last couple of years, you look down the line from the draft to how he spent money to most of the deals. I know some people are, are sore about the Leonard Williams one. That's another one to me. We got to wait until we see what happens with his contract and if the team actually does retain him because people's hate of that trade seems to always boil down to the fact that, well, now he's going to walk and you got nothing. Let's get to the place of where he's actually walking and we got nothing for him right before we right. arrive at that in that spot of it. So um I uh yeah, that's that's where I stand with it. Long answer there. Sorry, but uh that is where where I'm at with the two feed me. So 
if it's got to be done, it's got to be done. You know, if that's what it takes to get the, the tumor, without the, to get the tumor out of there. <laughs> but that's not a tumor. I <laughs> uh, appreciate you, Phoebe. Uh, that's, a, that's a good one. Oh, it's great. Kindergarten cop classic. Classic Arnold. Low-key classic Arnold. I mean, people reference that one. Yeah. Uh, Phoebe with another $2 donation. Says, does you guys think John will override Adams like Russ? Okay, so he's saying, well, you think, let me let me elaborate a little bit. So what feed me saying is, do you think that John Schneider will override Coach Carroll in saying, I'm getting out, Adams is out the door, like he did with Russell Wilson, like you've talked about, where Carroll wanted Russell still. Will he do that here? I mean, in my mind, there's no decision to make, right? Like, if Pete is not on board with releasing Adams after this season, then he's even more hopeless than I thought. Like th this is not a hard. Th th this should be the easiest decision this offseason. It's like, I, I you know I've been watching a lot of financial audit episodes on YouTube lately, and you know it has this guy trying to build budgets for these people who are deep in debt and their financial situation's a mess, and he goes through their like credit card statements uh, for the last month, and it's like twice a day they're going out to eat fast food, and he's like, okay, you need to cut this stuff out. And some of these people are like, uh, do, do I really have to? Like, they, that's the easy stuff to cut out. That's the easy stuff to understand. If I can't even get you to understand that you need to stop eating Chick-fil-A twice a day, then you're never going to be able to build a functional budget. If I can't get my head coach to understand that my $28 million safety, who can't really play football anymore, needs to be off this team, there's no hope. I agree. So, I, I, I've had... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. My bad. But, but my point is, like, it, it, it shouldn't come down to this. There should be no overriding because there are people on Twitter. I know many of them who are big Jamal Adams defenders. They swear he's having a really good season. They think he's great. They think he's so much better than Julian Love. They think he does their great job. They, they, they post all these like clips and advanced metrics saying, actually Jamal Adams is the third best when you put him in, you know, it's like, this absolute galaxy brain stuff trying to justify Jamal Adams being some great player. Even they want to cut Jamal Adams. Even yeah. they're like, this is not worth the money. So yeah. there should be no decision to make. Yeah. I I've seen the same thing. I mean, uh, hell my, my brother Jamal's his favorite player. He was celebrating like it was, he was having another baby when we learned that we were getting Adams and, he it's, he's gotten to that point as well, where he's like, yeah, just it's, it's that we can't, this isn't working. We can't make this go. And I, I agree with you that if Carol's on the spot of, of going in and saying, I want to, I want to die on the, in the trench of Adams and keeping him here, John, no, 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 John, we got to. And understanding as well, that Pete's got to be very well aware of where they're at in the cap situation standpoint. It is, it would be, it would, it would not, it would, it, it would, you're right. It would, I mean, you talk about already not having a lot of faith in that situation with where we stand with Carol, uh, you talk about something that would kind of just demolish whatever remnants there might be that this would do it. This is a move that has to be done. If competition's truly King, if you know, not just having guys you allow on the roster, cause you've got the, the investment put in, but that they're the right guy to be on the roster, that they're going to be a good player for you in the future. If that's, what's writing your philosophy and driving your philosophy, then this has got to go down. And, um, I, I, I think Carol was just trying to do the thing where he's, he was just doing the good PR thing the other day by, by, by mentioning it and they'll come down to it and they'll go, well, we just, he'll say later, it was like, well, we were just in a cap situation. It wasn't about him as a player. It wasn't about this. Is what he'll say, Brendan, he'll be like, well, it wasn't him about, you know, next year he's going to get back on his feet. And it was just about us. We got ourselves into a tough cap situation and we had to save some money. So it's not about him as a player, blah, 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 blah. 
but it's got to go down this way. You save way too much money on this year's cap that could be used in other vital areas by moving on from Adams. Yeah, yeah, this is a this is should be a no brainer. And I, I imagine that there would be some intervention if Pete doesn't want to do it. I imagine that somebody would step in and be like, Pete, you, 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 there's, you don't get to make this call, just like he didn't get to make the Russ call. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't come to that. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I, I hope it, it doesn't and it shouldn't. And we'll see. I'm, I, it will, this, the, Adams can't be on the roster next year. There's just no way about it. You look at the cap situation, you look at how they need to create cap. And I'm not talking about to go make splashy signings just to do your normal business on the books this off season. You've got to move on from Adams simply saying, well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll keep Adams, but we'll cut Quandre and then we'll cut Brian Monet and then we'll cut, uh, we'll, we'll cut Eskridge and then that'll be enough money. No, it won't. No, it won't. Mm-hmm. And, and there's no other guys. When you look at the roster, they don't have a lot of guys they can restructure and pull through. They can save a little money here, a little money there. But this is the one guy that you can save a substantial amount of money by moving off of this offseason. Yeah, Adams and Diggs are the big guns. Yeah, that's that's $26 million right there between two guys. That's a lot of that's a lot of cheese to go out there and get some other things done on this football team for improvement. And I, I, I just can't think John Schneider's not sitting there looking at those numbers and going, yeah, that's the spot he'd circle on his paper and go, right, right here's where we got to have to do this, you know, like it or not, you know. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Phoebe, for the double dono. Um, Holy Hand Grenade, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, is Pete being turned out? <laughs> Does he mean tuned out? Okay. <laughs> I read that. I read that pure the other straight away. So I was going, wait, like, is Jody having him turned out? You mean? Because mm-hmm. I understand that phrase to mean something completely different. But let's go with I think how you, I think how you said it was how he meant it. Maybe it's a little bit of a Freudian slip on Holy Hand Grenade's part. Mm-hmm. But uh, is he being tuned out, Brendan? Are the players, have the players checked out of the Pete experience? I think he has to be. What else could be going on right here? What else could it possibly be to come up with that effort with a, in a game with the playoffs on the line? Like, I know Pittsburgh's not a bad team, by the way, but you're at home. You're playing a third-string quarterback. You're playing a very flawed team that has some real injuries on – like, like their defense is good, but they were missing two of their key players, Alandon Roberts and Minka Fitzpatrick. You should win that game, and the fact that you basically no-showed it on defense, I don't know how you can possibly argue anything else. Yeah, I don't either. And it's happened a few times over the last couple of years. It's with the Rams game in the first game of the season where he's, he's openly admitted I didn't have the team ready to play. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of evidence to this. The lack of tackling and players themselves, this isn't from me as a fan, but just what players themselves will say is, uh, you know, tackling is about effort. It's about willingness and want. And then that's about a coach getting new to the state of mind or knowing he's got the players on his roster who can get to that state of the mind on their own if he doesn't have to be the driver of it, who will give that to you every single week. And so if you're not getting that and you thought you were going to get it or the player once did it at one other place, but he's not doing it here now, it does then seem like, logically speaking, that comes to a tuned out thing going on here where they're just, and I've come back to thinking that's occurring. And again, this is a guess. But I think that that's occurring because the players aren't buying into a scheme that they don't think works. If you want a player to run your scheme, they got to think it works. And you can tell them, no, no, it works. I promise you it works. But if they watch it out on the field getting exploited time and time again, 
How is it not going to be human nature of a player to eventually get through a long season or a long couple of years playing for that same coach, watching those same issues present themselves and not say, well, you know what? It just doesn't work. And uh, I wonder that on this. You're muted. Yeah, you know, looking back at it, I was I, I remember saying like the fact that we beat Philly and beat Tennessee proved that we hadn't quit on Carroll as a team. And now we're looking at it, I'm like, man, that Philly team is really bad. That Tennessee team was in a really bad state. Maybe like there are a few players on this team that haven't quit, like Gino, like uh, Metcalf. Maybe there are some guys who are locked in, but there are a lot of guys who aren't. Yeah. And uh, mostly guys on the defense, which is why we don't tackle, which is why we don't maintain our run gaps, our, our run game discipline. That's why these teams run all over us, despite having backup quarterbacks in. Amen. I, amen. I think it's it, it certainly is proof positive that. And if it's not that, then what's the other explanation, Brennan, right? Like if it's not that, then what is it? You know, all these guys going bad at the same time, which is kind of where they have to go with it. It all then becomes on the player of just the players suck across the board. That's just it. And I don't buy into that. I'm not saying that we have some super championship team, but this is a team that has underachieved. This is a team that hasn't in, in full performed up to the talent that they put out on the football field, in my opinion, this year. Yeah. And uh, that's that's coaching. Right. Thank you, uh, Hand Grenade. I appreciate you for that. Uh, by the way, he says uh, here, it, it auto-corrected. I meant uh, tuned. Okay. Right. Yeah. You, you almost made me answer that question in a weird way there for a second, the way you had it phrased prior. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, oh, you mean it's Saturday night? You mean like, like he's on the streets? Like the streets got him? <laughs> uh, I'm sure he saved his money well over the years. He doesn't have I would to worry hope about that. I'd hope not. I hope he's not out there on Aurora Avenue. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hope he's not. Uh, Jordan, thank you for the $5 donation. I appreciate you for that. Jordan says, I'm starting to think that the people that want Gino gone are the same people that are still defending Pete. Ooh, very interesting. I think there might be something, yeah. a bit something to this, actually. Um, That's not really what I'm seeing. Okay. I think the Venn diagram is all over the place. I don't think there's a lot of rhyme or reason to it. That's a good point. Um, honestly, most of the people I see that like Pete also really like Gino. Um, like that that's been my experience. So I don't really agree with that. I um think that the people who want Gino gone tend to be the people who want everything gone. Like they just want a massive amount of change. They want something different, and that includes the quarterback, but it also includes the head coach. So I, I don't know if I've seen that. I have felt it a little bit on my end. And let me give you an example, Brennan, what I mean on this, where it will come back to the comments I'll get or people that'll bring up to me that, well, the defense didn't perform well today because Gino didn't get his thing done. Well, the defense is on the field so long and getting worn out and that's why they're not as good, but that's because the offense isn't getting their job. So then it's back to Waldron and Gino. So for instance, this last week with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I had a comment just today I was reading about that was, you know, well, you know, no one's given no one's given any point of mind to Geno Smith and that fumble at the end of the game. That's what that's really, you know, what lost you the game. And there and in a little bit of the interactions on that, there's nothing really coming back to Pete and the defense on that. So that's where sometimes I do, like you say, it's a Venn diagram. It's like it goes in every different direction. And the Hawks fan base is certainly split and has branches going every which way right now. And no, there, there's not necessarily one group think of what everyone's outlook on what's best for this team and where they're at and the state. I mean, all across the board, I would agree with that. 
But um, I do feel like I got a little bit of the, yeah, it, the, you know, well, if Gino just ran the offense better then the defense gets rested and the defense isn't in me as much perilous points. And I can see them at times. It feels like cherry picking to the bad spots in Gino's game, even when he's had good games, like they'll go to even the, the Dallas game, Brendan, where they'll be like, well, you know, if you could just get one more drive done in there, you know, just couldn't get that one more drive. And it's like, the, oh, you're, you're muted. Yeah. Then our defense gives it right back. Right. We, yeah, all, which exactly. we all know would have happened whether or not we're willing to admit it. Agreed. Agreed. But that's where I, that's where I'm wondering if when Jordan's point, there's a little bit of, I sense that too. And that there's not, not everybody again, and there's different camps on this, but that there's certainly to be a little bit of a, maybe at least a tiny camp there that puts those two connections together where Gino's got to be going and where it's otherwise repeat. I feel like Gino just the, the, the lack of benefit of the doubt he's gotten in time over the recent years for how well he has played. It's not been perfect ball and putting it in the proper tune. I'm not saying he's playing top five in the sport. So like Brennan's been, you're paying him this to be the 17th highest paid quarterback in the sport. He's giving you beyond that level of performance on the field, bang for buck wise. And easily. Uh, easily. And, and a lot of people can't really see that or they just get caught too much up in the, he's just not this answer. He's not the guy. He's not the guy. It's like, but, that has nothing to do with what you're getting the bang for the buck. You can go draft your guy, have him sit behind him, and you're doing just fine at the spot. It's, But it, there seems to be a lot of of want and and quick to throw shade over a Geno and get him out of here as fast as possible for some. And I, I don't quite get that because I feel like he has he played some pretty good football, not always had the easiest of circumstances that he's had working for him over the past two years. Yeah, I, I think that, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, but over the last, uh, what is it, three games he's played, over the last five weeks, because he missed two games, over the last five weeks, he leads the entire NFL in QBR. Hmm. When you need it, when you're when yeah. the season's on the line, when you're when you have no room for air left, when you're needing these kind of performances, he's providing you that. Um, like like he has Brendan in these games when they've wound down, and you've needed him to step up at the end of games. He's being clutch, has been clutch, but another part that just doesn't oftentimes to me give him being given the kind of proper kudos and respect from the fan base that it really should be, in my opinion. Um, which is tough to see, but uh, maybe I'll win him over next year if he comes back. We'll see. Mm -hmm. uh, Phoebe Moore Seahawks, thank you for the $2 donation. He says, I don't want Daryl Taylor next year. He is complete trash. You done with the Taylor experience? You ready to just cut bait? We're going to be $2 million. He's worth $2 million. Is he? Yes. Is he? He is. Yes. This is... This is... No. no. He, he's worth $2 million. He's definitely worth $2 million. I Is mean, it, like, if you don't bring him back, you're looking at drafting somebody because signing somebody would cost more than $2 million. So you then now have to spend a pick on an edge player. Is that edge player going to be... Yeah, I don't... Yeah, I, 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 $2 million, I do that all day. If I could go out there and get a guy for $3.5 million that can play both... A little bit of run, a little bit of pass, gives you a six, seven sack upside to him. And you got to spend a million and a half more to get that as your fourth edge. Would you take that role or would you go back to Taylor too? I don't think you're going to be able to find a guy at that price that produces like that. I don't think so. Those guys, those edge rushers are expensive. They are, but there's sometimes the value to be found out there too, especially as you get into the third wave of free agency and the, the money's been bought up and there's still a guy out there sometimes you can get. It's like, he's a veteran guy. He's long in the tooth. He's He can't be played 50, 60 snaps a game. But if you talk about him being your fourth edge, he starts a couple games a season due to injury if he has to, but he plays his rotational snaps. I feel like you could find a guy out there at that price. Maybe it costs you four, 
But I, I think that to, to feed me's point, I can't roll with Taylor anymore. I, I don't really feel what he's bringing on the football field. I feel like even as a pass rusher, he's not taking steps forward in his game. He's exactly what he was when he walked in the door. I don't know what the upside for me. He's not going to give you anything as a run defender. And when I say anything, I mean, he's going to get attacked when he's on the football field in the ground game. And that's what he brings to the field on a weekly basis is a guy that's going to be a, a bleeding hole for you on that spot of the field in the ground game. You're going to watch it this week. The Cardinals are going to attack it when he's out there. And, and I don't know. I, I just don't know what he provides really at this point. I don't even think he's all that efficient of a pass rusher, which was his whole thing last year was he was super efficient, maybe our most efficient pass rusher last year. And he's lost that this season. There's what does he got? Yeah. Three, like a handful of sacks. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm just trying to think about this here. Like next year we get Nwosu back. Mafe is clearly the number two behind Nwosu, or maybe they're one, a one B at that point. Right. Right. You hope that Derek Hall takes another step up. Very likely that he does, by the way, if you look at the history, which we've done a couple times on this show. So at that point, Daryl Taylor is your number four. You're not asking him to do that much as the number four. You're not. Right? But but that's my my whole point on it is that he's he's not even capable of doing that little bit that you're going to be asking of him. You know, last year with the 73 grade pass rush and being that efficient pass rusher, which was his only good grade from last year, he was a 39 run defense grade. He was a 41 tackle grade. Uh, but if you look at the previous year in 2021, or you look at this year, he's, he's not that guy. And this year it's actually gone backwards. He's going to probably have more or be very close to about the most snaps he's played in his entire career this year, this season. Yet his, the, the year he had the most hits was his rookie year. Or the most hurries was his rookie year. The most hits he had was his rookie year. Looking at five sacks, three hits, 17 hurries. His rookie year, he had seven sacks, eight hits, and 21 hurries. You know, it's like there's no progression here. There's no, where where are the forward steps from Daryl Taylor right now? And I'm, oh, I'm I, I mean, I've given up on that. There's no more forward stuff with him. He's capped out. In my opinion, too, though, that this has taught us the last two years on this, Brendan. And what we've seen very clearly on this is that that fourth rusher, can't just be a, well, it's a fourth rusher. When are you going to need that guy? Last couple of years, we've needed that guy quite a bit of the time. And it's been a, a problematic area for us when we've not been able to call upon the fourth guy off the bench who can get the job done. That's my thing with it. As you know, a big part of what I like to be driven by is that mistakes come up. Do you deal with those mistakes? Do you deal with things that have been problems or do you continue to let them replay themselves the next season? And if you're going to run Taylor, Daryl Taylor back out there, all you're doing is re replicating the same issue that's now shown up over the past couple of years with him as a football player. And I, I don't think that there's any reason to be optimistic there that the light suddenly goes on on this one. I would much more be in favor of you, you just move on. And if you got to spend a little bit extra money to make sure you reinforce the ranks, we would have been better this year to going with Bruce Irvin and moving on from Daryl Taylor. He would have been a better player for us this year than what we've gotten out of Taylor. And when you're at that bottom bargain basement low, I don't, it now becomes about this thing, Brendan, of, well, he's a former second round pick. So you, you know, you got, no, this is where we got to get, I think as an organizational point is that, Hey, the guy ain't bringing it, ain't bringing it. He's out. If Eskridge ain't bringing it, he ain't bringing it. I don't care if he's a second round pick. He's out. You got to have people in the building that are actually bringing forward momentum and adding to the cause rather than subtracting from it, which he feels to me like a negative at this point as a player. Yeah. I mean, the last month he's been completely useless before that though. He actually had the month before the current month. Mm -hmm. He um, was actually producing a good amount of pressures. Like, well, that's what like, he does. I, that's what he does though. And then that, it's again, this, that's what he does with his year. 
first year he was a member of that first season, he had 2021 after he came off the leg injury. He had the five, the six, five game run and then he went completely silent. Last year, he was completely silent and then turned it on through like the back six games of the season to make his season look a lot better. And now again this year, we're saying that same inconsistency where it's like if you go down the board on this guy as a player, he is what he was when he walked in the door and he's not progressed so. And if that's the case, there's no hope for him to then progress next year, absent just blindly hoping, well, fourth year, it'll something will happen then at that point. I mean, magically. I don't think we should count on magic to happen with this. I think that he just is what yeah. he is. I mean, it really depends on what we could replace him with and how much that replacement would cost. Like, I'm still inclined to believe he's worth $2 million. But if you can replace him without spending an order of magnitude more money, then sure, of course. Yeah. And I'm not advocating for spending a lot more money and certainly you probably can't afford to do so. But I, th I looking through the years, it always seems like there's that 32, 33 year old rusher, all like the Bruce Irvin we had, who's in that spot there, who's still got a little bit that they can play as long as you keep them contained in their snap count and try to not to use them too much. You can make them work for that snap count and they can give you some effectiveness with that, right? They understand, hey, I, I can rev the motor up high and I can give you a lot on these little bit of plays you put me out there. I feel like there's a collection of those guys throughout. You don't have to pay them a lot. You give them a little bit more than the base salary, a little bit more than veteran minimum, and you can bring them into the stables and they can provide, uh, on top of providing a little bit of a veteran component too with this, Brennan, because he's not helping from, he's not teaching anybody anything. At least I bring another veteran and he can help out some of these young pass rushers to take some steps forward in uh, in their development. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely out on Taylor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm definitely ready to move off him as soon as it's, you know, going to be prohibitively expensive to keep him but i i do think he is worth two million even if we might be able to do better that's a fair point it's a fair point uh cory olson thank you for the five dollar donation says uh field digs checked out a while ago no way he dropped off this fast in talent in his last presser last season i believe he was saying we got out schemed yeah, I, I don't know what to make of Diggs, man. I, I don't know. I know he made a Pro Bowl alternate today or yesterday. And I know there are some people that really defend him, but you can't tell me he's worth this money. Yeah, I, I think with Diggs, it's, it is a, a little bit more complex. It's way more complicated than Adams, how you kind of arrive at the place of saying that most likely the best route to go here, Corey, is to say, we've got to just move on on this. It, it's as much about, hey, the $50 million safety experience experiment that we tried isn't working. The other thing is, is that if you're going to pay a guy this amount of money and then ask him to just be in single high center field, 40 yards deep off of the line of scrimmage on just about every single play, well, are you really then getting the most of, again, back to bang for your buck for that? Can you not find a guy out there that can just stay over the top as a super fast free safety back there with some ball skills that that's all you're asking them to do for a much cheaper rate? I would kind of think so. Maybe I'm off my marker on this one, but I just feel like that's a lot to pay top 10 safety money for a guy that doesn't really make a lot of plays, who's a negative as a tackler and who stands off the ball 40, 50 yards most of the time. It just seems, it seems to me like what makes more sense to me on this, Brendan, is like when I hear the rest of the NFL devaluing safeties across the board or free safeties like this, I go, yeah. I'm a team that's got my safety back there 50 yards off the ball, not impacting the play more often than not. I'm not going to pay him a whole hell of a lot of money. I'm going to try to avoid not paying that guy a lot, right? It kind of adds up, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't it make yeah. sense to you in that way. Like, I mean, it's one thing if he's coming up and doing a variety of things and he's bouncing here, bouncing there, and he, you got him in the flat, you got him blitzing, you got him come up and actually being a true defender in the ground game. But if you're not having him do that, you don't need to be paying him this money. And then, you know, you add on top of it, like Corey says, I've had a lot of fans ask me, is like, is Diggs really in? 
Is he really tuned into what's going on right now? Is, you know, maybe he's not making, you know, he's had some games. He's laid some hits a couple weeks ago. He was smacking Titans all over the football field. But then, you know, he's also had some games where it's just, you're wondering a little bit too on the, on some of the effort when he's coming up and he's got the moment that stands out to me in that Niner game where you got poor Witherspoon there, Brendan, just holding onto the waist and, and here comes Trey Brown up and then Withers Woolen knocks Trey Brown off the tackle and, and Witherspoon off. And then here comes Quandary taking this like fortuitous circle route around the whole play where to me, it was just. It was completely a play that felt to me like a defender who was trying to like make it look like he was coming in to be in on the play, but finding his way to stay around contact when you needed him to come in there and help make the tackle. And yeah. uh, I, I have not, I, I like a lot of what Quandary does bring to the field, but the bottom line is that I think his best days have been had here. I don't think we utilize him at the most to be paying him what we are. And I think that we could save $26 million by those two guys and roll that money into other places on this team that have been neglected and not been given that same kind of, um, what's the word I'm thinking, investment, I think we're going to get a better team because of it. The bottom line is there'll be a better team out on the other end of that because of that. And that's not shaded to Jamal or Quandary. That's just the better way to put resources in this modern NFL than dropping it into a position that's been devalued as much as running back, if not more so. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that's also kind of a no-brainer at this point. I know it's not as much of a no-brainer as Jamal but I also feel like it's a clear decision that needs to be made because uh, to me, the only reason why it's controversial at all is because you restructured him this off season. Yeah. And I, I just think it isn't, it like say it, it's a different than the Jamal, but it's no more or less the, the no brainer. I think this team has got to take the bad money off the books and not just bad money because the player's not good, but because we got to utilize what's best for the scheme. You know, if we're going to marry back in or coach Carroll doesn't want to run blitzes and he wants to run soft zone and he wants to trust the front four, then guess what? We got to bring a lethal front four to play, not the back. The back end's nice to have at that point, but you got to have the front four then so that you're not just holding on coverage five, six, seven seconds downfield because nobody can get home as we've seen time and time again this year. So uh, this seems to be a pretty straightforward decision for me on both camps with this, Brendan, but uh, you never can tell with this team on certain in certain points. They may want to try to keep at least one. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I get it, and I understand that we have a coach that isn't going to be interested in um, you know throwing away a season, it would, which it would kind of feel like you are. I don't think it is, but if you do cut Adams, Diggs, Love, Draymond, Belor, Monet, uh, if you do move off all those guys, it is going to kind of feel like spring cleaning, and you're going to feel like yeah, we're not really going to compete this year. But I think you could. I don't think it's unreasonable. You're going to create so much cap space, um, even though if there is quite a bit of dead money to eat as well. I think you could have you kept, especially I think Draymond and Julian can stay on the roster because the savings aren't so substantial that it, it, it it's as much a no brainer. And all those guys you talked about, I mean, just take the three, take the four guys we we're going to stand on that we feel pretty confident. In. Jamal, 16. Uh, Adams adds another 10 to 26. You save about six ish on uh, Monet. So that puts you to 32. And then I think you're about, Two million on Eskridge, so you're thirty-four million dollars between those guys. You could keep Love. You've got Kobe Bryant. You've got Jarek Reed coming back. You're going to maybe need to draft another guy, but you got a mix of guys then at that point. And now you can take that investment through into middle linebacker and into your your front seven, maybe offensive line. Um, I think you could still compete at that point, Brendan. I, I think it's really the problem here has just been the. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to say. There, there, there is kind of the nuclear option. You can extend Geno to create cap space. You could. 
which again, I don't mind because I still don't think that precludes you from going out there and drafting the quarterback who, yeah. you, you know, you're, you're, you're going to reach, you take it to, you get a year down the line and Gino's, you know, still balling out, but then the guy's ready to come out there and play. Well, does Gino become a trade asset at that point? A guy that you could move if you want There's some ways that they could be wins in that, even if you did go that route. So I'm okay with them doing that as well, Brendan. I, I think that, um, those people are going to get be so we'll have a happier fan base when we got that quarterback weighing the wings, right? Even if Gina's on the roster, I think that'll settle a lot of people down with the QB position, just having at least a guy there that they they can be thinking about um, as as the next one. Right, exactly. Nothing wrong with that. Um, a few more Seahawks off topic. When is the next members only stream? We're going to do a Saturday stream this week. I think feed me. I'm either try. It might be tomorrow, but I think I'm probably going to do a Saturday. Uh, so we'll go probably Saturday afternoon and I will, um, get that scheduled up. So we're going to probably do a Hawks nest members only call in show on Saturday. And I'm going to lean to probably doing it around maybe midday ish or so. So if you're a member of the channel, keep an eye out for your community posts. I'll be putting a link out there to that. And, uh, we'll be, uh, hearing from our fellow twelves on what they think and what's going on with this year and where they're at with it. So probably Saturday, I'll uh, try to get that out tomorrow for a, a show link on the community post for members of the channel. All right, cool. Thank you, Feed Me. Appreciate you for that. And thanks for all the donations today. Uh, well, we've got this broken down, I think, pretty good as a matchup. Um, both special teams are pretty solid. Cardinals special team is solid. I, I think we've got maybe a minor edge there a little bit, but I don't know if a, a major, huge, you know, massive yeah. edge. I doubt um, it decides the game. He doubt decides the game. I think we've got the points come of emphasis probably from what I've gotten from you. And correct me if I think you're, if I'm off on this, I never like to speak for you if I'm, I'm being inaccurate, of course. Uh, but that we stop in the runs where this game starts at, probably first and foremost. Right. I, well, right. in theory, but we know that the last two games we played, Pete Carroll focused on stopping the big play. <laughs> I don't know why that would change this week. If you're going to do it against Mason Rudolph uh, and Ryan Tannehill, yeah. you're probably going to do it against everybody. That's well played, sir. Uh, well played. Yeah, that's true. We did do that. Oh my God. It brought me back uh, when he said that did it not bring back memories to you of Buffalo a couple yeah, years ago. It did. Like he go, he go, oh dude, we're so worried yeah. about that Buffalo bill ground attack. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, can you at least make sense? Like, okay, we're going to lose sometimes. Can you at least make sense? Can you at least say something? Yeah. There were some people on, uh, Twitter earlier today who theorized that he said that to cover for his players to try to take the blame for their shortcomings because, you know, they weren't giving any effort and he was trying to find some way to, to deflect it back to him. A I, hell of a sword to fall on. I, I it's yeah. a hell of, hell of a sword to fall on. Cause I mean, there's people questioning you right now. I mean, if I'm Carol right now, I'm like, if there's some things that I'm doing right and then my players are doing wrong, like I don't mind you telling us what's what here. You know, I'm, I honestly like, him, even when he airs out like public names and stuff like that, I, I don't, I, I know it's a bad look and coaches shouldn't be doing that to a degree, but like, we're kind of needing answers as a fan base here too. And the reporters aren't asking it and we don't really get the forthright nature from you always on this stuff, Carol, and, and you know, really what the, but you know, the bottom line here is in the background of what's happening here. So I, I do at least like that because it's, it is oftentimes just kind of, I'm not sure of what we're seeing really, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I get that. So at least by our stance, maybe not the team stance, Brandon, but by, by your and my stance, sorry about that. Uh, by your and my stance of things, we look at this as being one where this has got to be a, um, 
a game where we stop with start with stopping the run, tackling, keeping our gap integrity on point. The, the, the Cardinals going to challenge it across the board from um, James Conner. We didn't talk about the two other guys, but they Rondell Moore they've utilized as a running back now as much as a receiver. That DeMarco guy, Amario DeMarco, is a pretty fun little back back there as well. So they can kind of run a waves at you a little bit here in the ground game. But for me, at least, stopping the runs where I've got to start with if, if I was the head coach of this team. How about you? Would you be in that same place? Seems like a no-brainer. Seems like a pretty obvious thing that you got to do. So, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. If you stop the run, I don't know what this Cardinals team, team can even really do. Like, they, yeah. they, they don't even have Hollywood Brown, right? He's he's out. Nope. He's um, out. They, they've got McBride, and that that's like their only big threat. It is indeed. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, Rondell can do some stuff for them, but there's not really anything else that they've got that's really going to hammer you. So to me, you stop the run game, you come out as far as uh, offensively and understand that we've got to be explosive. Let's attack in the passing game. Let's test their secondary out. Let's see if we can find some holes out there. Let's get some more of attack in the middle of the field, which we've done in recent weeks, more of DK Metcalf in the slot, more of DK Metcalf running posts and slants out of the slot in order to kind of manufacture some touches into him, even maybe back to Noah Fant on some of the same stuff they were doing last week a little bit. I, I think that if we go down to just two real parameters in this game, Brennan, sometimes some games require five or six parameters, but in this one, because you are so much better talented wise, I think this one does get really pretty simple when we get down to the bottom line for me on that. Do those two things beyond turnovers, right? I Sometimes I'd say turnovers, are, yeah, turnovers could factor in, but I'd say even more in turnovers. I go, nope. These two things, you take care of business and you're efficient and explosive from passing attack wise and you stop the running game. I think you can win. I think you win this football game and I think you win it going away. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, um, I'm not entirely convinced that they will be able to do that, but I do agree, agree that if they do, there isn't much else to say. So that, that takes us then the bottom line on this is that I, you, well, you phrase that's right. This is what, what they should do does not necessarily mean that that is what they will do. How does this game play out in your eyes where this team is at this season? And then where, where's, what's the final score? I don't think we're going to be able to stop the run because they've given me no reason to believe over the last two months now that they've been, that they're able to stop the run. So I think they do run on us. I think it limits the um, issues that their lackluster receiver core raises uh, I know they don't have a very good offensive line and it's going to be even a little more beat up than usual because they're not going to have Humphreys and they may not have Wilkinson. So that's a big part of their offensive line. I don't know if we're equipped to take advantage of that. So I think it's going to be a shootout. I do think our offense is up to keep up, but I'm also looking at this factor that I think the Cardinals are playing harder for Jonathan Gannon than the Seahawks are playing for Pete Carroll. So I'm going to go with like 30 to 24 Cardinals. Mm. Succinctly put and uh, well put on your part. I, I can't really push back against any of the things you say and say, well, I can counter this with that. I can't. Uh, I can only go to the fact that I got to feel like at one point or another, some point of desperation hits in with this team and that um, this is their final chance to control their chance in a year where they've had those, so many of those chances slip through their fingers that I, I I've got to feel like they come in and and maybe just one for the old Gipper kind of thing, right? Maybe just maybe one of those things going on, and they they just find a way to get it done. It ain't going to be pretty. It, it's going to be a, a slog. It's going to at times 
uh, have some of the painful points of the season that like they've been in some of these games to watch, but we still end up coming out the other side of it. I'm going to say with a 27 to 24 game on Jason Myers, fourth quarter comeback uh, by Geno Smith, uh, where they got to come back down from uh, 10 points down and uh, puts the field goal up through the uprights to, uh, to give them the win. And uh, I see it going like that. That's my, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, yeah, that's where I see it going. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I want to be clear. I do want to win this game. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not. In, I'm not interested in like. Oh, let's get a slightly higher draft pick. I. I. I, I think that's um, such a waste of time. I think that kind of stuff. Waste of time. No, no, you. You want this team to win, Brendan, and you're just you analyze this team. And you're looking at it through what you've seen through this year, and they've told you a story. And I can't argue with the story they've told you coming into this. Part of my outlook for seeing this win is, quite frankly, just kind of hoping on a star, wishing on a star because everything this team's told me about going into this kind of game with a team that's going to play hard against you, who can run the ball, who has a mobile quarterback, who can scramble for some free and easy yards at times, that that's been a, that's a formula that's, that's trying and tough. And that, that we've had a hard time dealing with not just this year, but in recent years. So for to come to that spot as a final score, I don't think is out of pocket at all. And it fits in line with where this team's been at. Right. Absolutely. I hate saying that. I hate saying it, man, but it is what it is. Uh, M, uh, John M429, thank you for the $10 donation. It says, thoughts on Andy Dickerson. Do our O-line problems stem from coaching or youth? I know injuries have been a factor all year long, but I still wonder. I hate the run game. Maybe we need to draft more guys. We were just having a discussion about this a couple of days ago on in regards, regards yeah. to the line. I don't have a problem with Dickerson. I think the injuries to the offensive line this year were Im, un, were impossible to overcome. And I think mm. he did the best that he could in some games this year. Like, for all of the problems, we have a, an average NFL offense with a god-awful offensive line. He has done something right. Like, he got decent play. Like, this is by far the best Stone Forsyth has ever looked. Oh, yeah. We've gotten yeah. good mile. We've gotten passable mileage out of like Bradford, who has no business playing in the NFL right now. It's true. So, so I'm not upset at Dickerson. I think that he just got dealt a really bad hand this uh, this year. Yeah, I I feel the way uh, uh, Brendan does. Uh, Brendan, would you buy if I was to say I don't have the, the 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 data to back this up, of course, but if I was to tell you that Hawks probably offensive line has lost more guys to starters, starters lost to injury uh, than anything but maybe two or three other NFL teams, would you buy that probably being the, being the case? Mm. It feels like yeah. that to me. Yeah. I mean like the giants had it really bad, right? Because mm -hmm. they lost who's their left tackle. Who's their big expensive left tackle. Uh, Thomas. Thomas. And, yeah. Andrew yeah. Thomas. Uh, I think John Michael Schmitz has gotten hurt. I think Lewinsky got hurt. So it's the us and the giants. And I don't know who else. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a part to me, John, that I look at that can't be undersold is you have that many injuries and that much of a rotating basis. It makes it hard on Dickerson in his job to, to show you that to be him to be at his best First team like Philadelphia that's got their full set of linemen running pretty much all year long. Uh, I think Dickerson has done a pretty good job, John. I think the big problem that stands out to me with him when you brought him in was that two years ago, you brought this new offensive lineman coach in to get you. And then with him, you need to bring in mobile offensive linemen, guys that could move in space to get this done. And not only guys that can move in space, but talented guys that could move in space. And instead, Phil Haynes, 
Damian Lewis, those are guys that were here under the old regime. That they fit to the old player model. So you've kind of forced them to fit into Dickerson's scheme when they have it. On top of the fact you moved both of them from their prior positions that they played in college and that caused you to draft them in the first place for that position. So they they very well could both be playing kind of out of ski, out of their really natural position for them. And Evan Brown, you spent two million dollars for your starting center this year. And he's playing like a back end center uh in the yeah. National Football League. So that doesn't get our money's to- worth. We got our oh, money's we got our money. Worth. Yeah, we got our money's worth. Exactly. He, That's not know, a good thing. Got, it's not a good thing, but that's also, I can't, I can't throw, you know, chicken, chicken crap at Dickerson and say, make chicken soup. If I want him to make me a good soup, I got to give him some good, some good ingredients to work with. And that's why I've said to me, John, at the forefront of what I, I hold as the priority this off season for what they need to do from a roster building standpoint, it's the investment into the offensive line, true investment, not the partial investment, not just, not just a spot here or there. Sorry. I thought I had that off. Uh, not just a spot here or there but all across the board. And um, unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, they just haven't done that for a very long period of time, John. We were talking a couple of days ago on our Tuesday show. When you look at the actual top of the end investments for John Schneider and Coach Carroll for a 12-year period here, it's, it's really not that much in the draft as far as the top end that they've put into it. it it's really been something that they've always kind of just begrudgingly gone out there and picked a guy high when they absolutely really have to do so rather than really making it, Hey, let's make the offensive line a strength of our team by really drafting and making these guys good um, across the board. So I'd like to see them change their way with that, John. Cause like you say, the ground, the run game sucks a lot of times because you really on a baseline, just bottom line, yeah, the A and B gap runs and you don't run it outside. You don't use the fly sweep. All that stuff's true. But what's also true is you don't have guys that can move guys off the line. You don't have the guys that can hit the reach reach blocks and then move the guys out of the holes. And you're having a lot of early penetration, guys not landing their blocks, holes not open for running backs, over and over and over again, play after play. And and that's got to be solved to me with a talent, more better talent. Yeah, yeah, I agree with all that. More talent. But uh, he's good. I think he's doing good, John. Makes it hard to evaluate him when you don't actually bring the personnel to fit to the guy's scheme that he wants and we had we we couldn't have gone from a more different scheme for what we required from offensive linemen under tom cable versus what you were supposed to be looking for and wanting under a guy like dickerson or not cable but solari sorry what solari wanted from his guys versus what dickerson wants from his guys two different things two different mm-hmm. very very different and um we haven't really kind of fully embraced that understanding <laughs> in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think they just tried to get away with it for another year. They were like, yeah, I mean, Damian Lewis was good last year. Yeah, he doesn't fit. But we don't want one more thing to fix this offseason, so let's just roll with this and hope we get away with it, and we didn't. Agreed. Agreed. I, I think it came to us the cost for your, essentially, we're going to go and buy into the offensive line. That's, you know, in the safety position. Like, we'll put all that investment over there, so you kind of pulled back over here on that side. I felt like on the other side of that um, conversely or attack you a little more of the edge, for instance, like you have the past couple of drafts versus versus looking um, over there. So, but they need to get, they need to get after it, Brendan. They really do. Uh, Phoebe Morsey Ox, thank you for the $2 donations. Is at this point, big spoon captain, not a lot. Try. Uh, uh, I'm not sure what he's trying to say at the end there. I, I'm not sure what you mean at the end there, Phoebe, but I'm, I perfectly be good if he wants to be the, become a captain next year. He certainly brings a spirit that you would like other players to exemplify uh, in his example. So, and he was at Illinois. Yeah, I could get behind that. So, I can go um, for that. 
I'm, I'm worth it. It's hard for young guys to do it, but if you're going to bring that kind of energy and, and play with that kind of fire and passion, it's guys will rally around you. Mm-hmm. Cameron, thank you for the $5 donation. He says, I'm not, I'm really worried that if we miss the playoffs, Pete will fire Waldron. I really don't like that. I like Waldron and what he's doing. Mm, I I do. I mean, at this point, doesn't hurt have to be the scapegoat. I I would think so. But Brendan, this, that interview he gave at the start that at this last week on Monday, and he's leading with like the, 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 the offense, not running the ball as much. You're getting as many first downs converted or and he starts the offense and you're just like, dude, why are you starting with your defense? Let's the tackling giving up third string quarterback, slicing you and dicing you apart. Like you, it just, I feel like Pete's a little bit like the, he's like the parent. It's got the two kids and there's obviously one parent that there's obviously one child that's going to be favored here between the two. And it's like, when you're the, you know, the Harry Potter and the defense is Dursley, then, uh, you know, like you're stuck under the chit, you're under the yeah. staircase. Yeah. And what, what I'm really worried about is that we fire Waldron and we go get somebody who represents a step back from Waldron because theoretically Waldron was brought in here to at least try to implement some more modern concepts. Right. And like, 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 like I said, this most recent game was mostly really good. Mm-hmm. I, I, we saw some throwing over the middle. We saw running to the outside. We even saw some flood routes. Yeah. If I recall correctly, I saw some flood routes in that game. Yeah. So I look at that and I go, is he just going to go back to like a, Brian Schottenheimer, Daryl Bevel type, somebody who's just going to run some 1970s offense. Like, is he going to say, that's the problem? The problem is I tried to be more like the Rams. No, I need to be more like the, you know, 1980s uh, Jets or something. That's what I'm afraid of. If there's a coach out there who doubles down back on his base philosophy and and is not a guy that likes to change, it certainly is a Coach Carroll that's that's a bit of his approach you know he wants to do it the way he wants to do it and even when he tries to show you change you don't necessarily get tangible change um i'd hope cameron that waldron doesn't become the scapegoat in this situation he shouldn't be i i don't think that he's necessarily had an amazing year as a play caller i feel like he is having some of it with one arm tied behind his back because you can see so much of this offense looking so familiar to what it's looked like in recent history and in, in many ways, I do look at the offense in the same way I look at the defense and that you can roll through here any number of offensive coordinators that you want to run through here. You're going to get the same style of offense on the football field on game days because Pete is not hands off. He is not a guy that's like, yeah, run your scheme wild and free. Um, and the proof of this is very easy. People can get mad at me saying that, but the proof of this is very easy. Why does Waldron come from a Ram scheme that runs their scheme a certain way? To, like Brendan just talked about, the flood zone concepts, utilizing the middle of the field, the short and intermediate passing game. Why does he come from a scheme like that to Seattle and stop using most of that Rams playbook and his concepts and what he's bringing to the field here in Seattle? Did he just forget overnight? Did he just wake up with amnesia? You know, or is it perhaps maybe the, and especially what doesn't add up on that is that he has the amnesia and he has the amnesia that then guides him to run an offense. That's like the offense we ran through the late teens. That doesn't add up to me. That dog yeah. don't hunt. And yeah, so it, 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 it's not right. It don't it's make not sense. Right. It's not right. Don't make sense. And so I, I yeah, I, I just think uh, he shouldn't be the scapegoat, but doesn't mean he might, won't be Cameron. And um doesn't matter when it comes to coordinators, they can flow through as many as they want to flow through. But the, the bottom line is not going to change until the philosophy and approach of the coach changes. Um, 
and letting them especially just do their jobs and do it in just full. Go wild and free. Go crazy with it. And bring out outside ideas inside that, rather than bringing in more of the yes men do what I tell you to do thing. Correct. Absolutely. MJC Hawk, thank you for the uh, $50 donation. This might be on your side because he has been slacking on Brendan's donos. I need to see some personnel changes and some philosophy changes. Gino at best is a 10 win and out in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think I must have missed the uh, Seahawks fan meeting that was thrown where that was determined. <laughs> like, I don't know. I, 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 I must have missed the invitation to that meeting because the, the way some people talk about Gino, it's like that was determined at some kind of, I don't know, stonecutters meeting and I just missed it. So I, I got to get caught up on that. Absolutely. Well, and MJ, I want to thank you too. You dropped a hundred dollar dono, I think for me last week, a $50 here to Brendan. So thank you for um, the very kind support. I want to say too, to Brendan, Brendan's intimating a bit on your, with your, your chat comment is one that we do hear about um, in the limitations of Gino and Brendan, I'm going to, let me leave with a little bit of this and you add on to, if I'm misspeaking, I think you're, cause we, I think we're really on the same page and you guys like it when we argue and fight, but there's, this is one where I think we're really, we've, we've come here slowly to this process with Gino on this. And this isn't something overnighted. This has been from the interactions we've had and us looking into the deep depths of him trying to pull to the truth because there's so much variation of people and what they see as the truth in regards to Gino. We mentioned, you mentioned like last year, MJC, I'll get into the playoffs. Get you to the playoffs last year. Six rookies starting on that team. $50 million of dead money. Get you to the playoffs. He's going on the road against the Niner team that was probably the best team in the NFC last year. He's got you with a lead at halftime, and your defense can't stop a, a, a soft breeze in that football game. And eventually, they, you know, the boys can't score every time on that tough Niner defense, and you lose the game. But then is that an example of Geno failing or his limitation or his top end as a player? Or was that the limitation of the team? And I bring that game up, MJ, because I think that that's a microcosm of this Geno situation. Is the limitation of Geno for why we aren't better offensively or why this team didn't top out better this year? Or is it more about the surrounding cast around him and, and the decisions being made around him and, and whatnot on that? And for me, and at least what I believe on Brendan's side of this, my side of this, it's the latter and not the former. And that if you get him an offensive line that's not the worst in football, this offense is going to soar. If you get him a defense that's not one of the worst in football, now he doesn't have to be perfect every time and feel like he's got to score every time. They can stay the pocket within themselves. They can just be them efficient self. On top of it, they're going to get more bites of the apple because they're not sitting on the sideline for two-thirds of the game while the defense is sitting in, out on the field allowing third down conversion after third down conversion. So from my standpoint with MJ, I just come back to going, I could maybe come to the place you are with this. With the He's a 10-win guy out in the first round. That's his ceiling. He's going to bump up his, his head above that no further. I, I, you can win me to that side of it. And Brennan, sorry for this. I know we're a long way on this, but you can win it's me cool. on the side of it. But what then, what I need to see to make that determination is a functional offensive line, is a functional defense, not a great offensive line, not a great defense, a functional one. Give me middle of the road on both of those. And then Gino topping out at that point, And I'm with you. But you, he's not gotten either of those two things over the past two years, and therefore I can't get to that final conclusion because of that. Where are you at with it? Yeah, I mean, to me, it's just a simple matter of if we win this weekend, which we're currently favored to do, that's two straight nine-win seasons with Geno Smith playing almost every game. He's missed two and a half games or so this year um, with a defense that is going to rank in the bottom quarter of the league with an offensive line that – 
I mean, last year it was okay, right? It was like passable. It had it, it was well, it was a tale of two seasons, right? It was 12 games and then it was the back end. 12 games, they were really good. They they, they actually were good in both respects of they opened up holes in the ground game and then they pass protected really pretty well. But then they got to that back half and it all fell off a cliff, like a cliff. It didn't steadily decline. It Tampa Bay game onwards dropped off a cliff last year. Uh, the run game was okay last year. This year it's uh, not very good. Like, And we're still getting to nine wins. I don't know why a more stable team would only generate one extra win and no further progress in the playoffs. I, I, I don't see that. I don't see that at all. Um, I, 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 and and by the way, Geno Smith is one of the few quarterbacks who is playing at this level that will give you the money to do that. These other quarterbacks that play at Geno's level are getting forty-five, fifty, soon fifty-five million dollars a year. Yeah. They're not going to let you build the way you might need to build to have that high level of play. Even a guy like a Jalen Hurts who can barely throw the ball eight yards without it wobbling. Got fifty million a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, Brock Purdy, who is still very obviously just you know a product of the system. When his contract's up, what do you think he's getting? You think he's getting sixty? I, I feel like he is. I do too. Yeah, yeah. Three. He'll have three years at that point. Three years of not just one year off. He'll have given him at that point a third year. So it's like he can come to them and say, "Hey, I've, I, this ain't a one one off. I've given you a couple of years of this kind of play. It's legitimate." Right. So. Yeah, I, I I don't understand this viewpoint at all. The the um the reality is, and I know some Seahawks fans really don't want to accept this, but Gino, even with his slight downtick this year in production, which I think has way more to do with his circumstances than his actual play, is still like in that conversation for top ten quarterback this year. So partially because quarterback play is down right now, I feel like, but. Mm -hmm. Bottom line is, I think you can make a very compelling argument that he's a top ten quarterback. Yeah, and if the, and if the quarterback plays down, that that's also just that's where the temperature of the room's currently at, and what determines a good quarterback or not a quarterback. And that's always a fluctuating thing, potentially year by year, especially considering this year where defenses have seemingly kind of taken another offenses that for years have been taking the forward step ahead of them, and they've kind of you know narrowed the mark a little bit this year versus other years in that in that's from that stance of things. So I. Uh, thank you for the fifty dollars donation, uh, MJ. And yes, I want to say, thank you. Your um, MJ, your your outlook on this is not one that you're alone on, and that this is something that me and Brendan we've given. This is something why we're so elaborate in our answers on this one is because we've been given this is kind of a common sentiment quite often throughout the course of not just this year, the past two years in this. And so it's required us to look at this as deeply as we possibly can look at this to consider it in the maximum way. We come out at the end of the conclusion the same place to that after looking through all of that data, and it's that. Um, you can bring me to your side of it, but you got to take care of these other little things first, which I think are the big inhibiting factors to getting the most out of Gino and with it, the most out of this team to getting it to a place of true contention and, uh, elite status. Right. But, uh, thank you for the big $50. Don't know. Appreciate you for that MJ and the hundred dollar dono last week too, man. You are awesome. Uh, long live the King. Thank you for, for another $5 donation as well. Says, would you guys be opposed to going all in on the offensive line and defensive line resources draft wise and free agency? Extend Geno, and then draft a developmental quarterback. What do you think about that approach? I'm very on board with that. I think that would probably produce the best results long term, uh, short term, and would probably be pretty good long term as well. Like um, next year, 
Gino is going to be 32, maybe 34 against the cap if we make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's reasonable. I still think you're getting your money's worth at th- $32 million for a season when you compare them to other quarterbacks. But if you could get that number down, you easily could get it down to like $20 million if you extended him out another couple of years. So I would definitely... I'd be on board with that because there I, I have every reason to believe right now that Gino will be good for another couple of years. If we decide we want to go that route, he will be good another couple of years. Agreed. I think the same thing. And um, I think that I, I, as we talked about on Tuesday, I don't mind the fact King, if you do extend him a couple of years that you give that backup quarterback, that that youngster, a little bit extra time to develop and get himself really, truly ready to go out there and play versus trying to just throw him in there and expect him to just learn how to swim. So, I'm okay with it on that. Um, and I, as Brennan also said, there's no downside, both short-term and long-term to investing in the offensive defensive line. It's a good investment in both, both cases to me. Um, so yes, I am completely going in that completely there to go in that approach with this. I think that's where we've really been held out, held back as a team outside of, let's say the schematics and X's nose is that the proper investment in the offense and defensive line has been missing for years. So Really investing in that would uh, really bring about the best returns. And with Gino, yeah, you could save some money on top of that. I mean, you you, you move on from Jamal, you move on to Andre, Monet, Eskridge, extend Gino. You know, suddenly now you've got about $40, $45 million of spendable space out there cap-wise to go make some moves, which would be enough to address both of those if that's where they wanted to laser their focus. Yep. Thank you, uh, King, for the double dono. And I love where you're thinking on that, man. I, 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 that'd be great if they take that approach. Du Boy with a $2 donation. What's up, Du Boy? It says, uh, does Leonard Williams even want to re-sign with this team? It's probably a good question. Well, what other teams will let you be that bad at tackling on a Sunday and then have the head coach get on the radio on a Tuesday and lead off talking about how he's disappointed in the offense? <laughs> That's true. You know, you're getting an umbrella of protection from your coach. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think players think about this stuff as much as we sometimes think. I think they want the money. I think they like staying in the same place if they've uh, like, I I read somewhere that Leonard Williams bought a house in the area from Lockett already. He's already kind of rooted down here a little bit. Whoa. Okay. So I, I don't think players are that wrapped up in this kind of stuff the way we think they might be. I agree with you. This was a little bit of always my issue at times with the, um, thought process of our culture and all of that brings free agents to us. Like they don't really care about those extra millions. They could be paid somewhere else. It's this great culture in Seattle that I want to go play at. And that might be the case with guys that have played here prior, but really pulling in outside free agents in and players that have been here. I I don't know that that's really the bottom line is money talks. Right. And, uh, you know, if you offer him the deal, that's the best deal or near the best deal he's getting, you know, he's probably likely to resign here. And if you try to undersell him or give him millions less, he's probably not likely to sign here. And it's just as much as that might come down to be the bottom line. I think you can move a little bit to the other side of it versus like he wants to be a West Coast guy versus being forced to be on the East Coast. So that wins a little bit in your favor to a degree, but it's a small degree. It's not the major impactful part of the deal of whether it gets done or not. And I think uh, the team's going to want to, I think with that second round pick, hanging a bit over the, the side of this, they're going to want to re-sign him here. They're going to want to get him on a deal. And he's been a really good player for them since he's come in. You know, the one right. thing you could say to him too, or Du Bois, is that, you know, over there with the Giants and the scheme he was running in, which is that blitz heavy scheme where you're allotted the kind of your role you've got to fit into and 
And that time, that doesn't always give those pass rushers the freedom inside to do what they want to do to go get to the quarterback and have penetration. Statistically speaking, PFF score-wise, he's been better here than what he was with the Giants. They've 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 utilized his skill set, you could say, at a little bit more of a maximum level, even though, again, I know the bottom line on the team defense hasn't been there, Du Bois, but that might be something that he also thinks about too. It's like, well, this scheme better fits what I do. I get to just be a three-tech that gets to go hunt. For whatever it's worth, the 2024 franchise tag amount for a defensive lineman is going to be just shy of $20 million. He's been done twice. Really? So that, does third. that count even if he's gone to another team? Yeah, it factors okay. in our I was Okay. I was wondering if maybe that would come into play here. Okay. I, I was going to say he it. would not want to play that game. I, I looked into it after the trade. Um to, to just see that because that was the first thing that jumped to me too. I was like, well, wait, what if we, uh, what if we do this? <laughs> but we can't get cute with it because it tripled, you know how it goes with that. I think it's 20, 20, 20% more than the cap is at for the franchise when they're in the third year, I think. So it's like the cap, yeah. cap cost plus the 20%. So you're, uh, you're up at playing them $27 million a year on a one year deal or something, 30 million a year, which yeah. you don't want to do that. But, uh, we'll see how it goes. I think that's interesting to hear about that. That's a nice little nugget you just dropped. You waited uh, two hours to drop that little nugget there, Brendan, with the uh, with the the lock at home sale. I like that, man. Save saving the nuggets to spread them out throughout the show. I, right. I dig that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure it's not the hardest thing in the world for him to sell the house and go to another one, but it does indicate some desire to stay here. It does, especially in this real estate market that seems in a weird potential fluctuating state. You know, yeah, you never know with that, but. Uh, I think you will, Boy. We'll see how it goes. That answer will be answered probably pretty soon as we get in the offseason one way or the other. But uh, he'll be definitely a guy they're trying to sign before free agency hits, I imagine. And yeah. so we'll, we'll learn before then. MJC Ock, uh, thank you for another $10 donation. Appreciate you for that. He says, sorry, I meant without some major changes to the philosophy and personnel. Coaching O-line and D-line, Gino can't win more than 10 and we won't make it past the first round. Oh, okay. That, yeah, that makes I can a get bit behind that. I can get behind yeah. that. I'm with you on that, then, MJC Hawk. I, I, I can. I, I, I certainly feel like philosophy and and um, how the you know the way we run the team from a, the personnel, both sides of the ball, and and some of the restrictions that are seeming in place. It's kind of like we have like you know bumpers on our on our car on either side or something a little bit at times. So you know that that can be the the great. I think that is the great inhibiting factor here to this team right now. And that that's why we, I do often go to coaching, but that's within the coaching, of course. So uh, I think that's a very fair point on your part. I, that part, yeah, I, I would be with you there. That it's this. You could say this coaching is topped out if they're going to remain in their rigid, unchanging, unyieldy uh, approach on both sides of the ball, which just has gotten a bit outdated and stale. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know how it gets much better than this right now. But uh, I appreciate this. MJ Seahawk, thank you for all the donos, man. All the yes, support. $100 drop, $50 drop, $10 drop. Thank you for all those donos. King, you too for uh, feed me. You too, Cameron. Long live the king. Appreciate you guys. All that for the uh, the donos on the chat. Do me a favor as well tonight, guys. And if you could hit, hit that like button here on this channel. Get subbed up if you can't. We're trying to, Brendan, we're almost on the edge of 15,000 subs here. So I'm trying to cook along to that mark. Please do get subbed up if you're not already as well on that side of things. Well, we've got our, uh, where was your final score again? 30 to 24. All right. So Brennan's 30 to 24. He is certainly a man that has lost his religion. He's <laughs> lost his religion. He now he now travels the lands, helping people, getting in adventures. Uh, I don't have, they're not giving me much to work with. They're not. I don't blame you. 
I don't blame you. And I'm, I'm, I'm at times, I find myself very close to that, the edge of that precipice myself, Brendan. So we'll see what they can do this week, man. Uh, it's been uh, an up and down year and uh, it's been um, some, some good, some bad, a little bit in between, but we'll find out the final stance on this team this week, Brendan, and what they are and who they are. And uh, the, the, the final story of the Hawks season, so to speak, they need to win. They need Green Bay Packers to go out there and, and do them some favors back to back years. We'll see if that can happen. We'll see if we still live on after this week. No matter what, folks, me and Brendan will be here throughout the offseason. We'll be back here on Tuesday to chop this up, this final post-game show. But we've got a uh, slate of uh, scheduled streams and shows and coverage of both the free agency and the draft that will be coming up that we're uh, we're going to be diving into here as we do get in the offseason. So we will be continuing to truck along here, even if our Hawks might not be so, but you never know. There's a chance, Brendan, where there's a will, there's a way. Where you get desperation, sometimes that's where you get the greatest of fights. And hopefully this week, that's what we see from our Seahawks team. Just at least feel some, feel at least a good part, even if they don't get in the playoffs, that they came there and they brought that to the battle here with the Cardinals to give us a little bit of maybe a little glint of optimism there as we then go into what's then going to be a very long offseason. Right. I think, sorry, go ahead. No, no, any, I was just saying right. Any final thoughts from you on this with this team on uh, anything? Just Um... Well, I, I got, I got very little, I got, I got nothing to say. They've kind of, uh, uh I've run out of po- trying, trying to be positive here. I've run out of, I've run out of things to say. Um, none of our players were on the Epstein client list. So that's good news, right? You know, you got to find the positive where you can find a man, you know, and that's, that is saying something at least. That is saying something. I saw Carol on there, but it was just with one L. So he's all good. He's, 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 he's clear. He's clear. Yeah, we're good. Uh, well, I thank you guys for watching. Of course, please subscribe here. Subscribe over to Seahawks. Brendan Nelson, if you're not subscribed over there as well. We are a couple days away with the final game potentially of the season for our Hawks, but maybe they can keep alive and some fight left and still get in the playoffs. And they get in the playoffs. Anything can happen. We both would love to see that. We'll just to see, have to see how it all plays out this upcoming Sunday. Thank you guys for watching. We'll be back here on Tuesday. But until that time, especially with the final game on the line, get those luck jerseys on, get any last little, you know, rub the kitty or rub the dog or do whatever you got to do to bring the luck this Sunday for our Hawks because Lord knows they need it. And please, by God, do not you ever forget, don't you ever forget, go Hawks. Go Hawks.